0: It's time for cover two Broncos. Just a couple
1: dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowls. Welcome back to another week of Who is Going to Coach the Denver Broncos on Cover Two Broncos? I am Joe Rowles and I am joined once more by A Schulte of Mile Report. Thanks for joining me, man.
0: Yeah, dude, this this coaching stuff is my bread and butter. So I'm I'm pretty excited to be back on. Um, my first year on the Denver beat, I get to cover a head coaching search. So just 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 imagine if we had to do a GM search too. Because if you think those those ten coaching profiles that I did were something, you want to you see the GM stuff. I got like 35 pages of notes on those.
1: I mean, so. if, you, if you stick around for another year, the new owner might can Peyton, and then you can. <laughs> so. I'm not not, I'm, not, I'm not rooting for that, but I'm just saying that <laughs> right. it, is, it is a distinct possibility. Oh, um, yeah. But a lot has happened in the last week. Uh, obviously, the ownership thing is the big thing. At this point, it's kind of out in the air. Officially, Broncos are almost definitely going for sale. They are going to probably go to the highest bidder. Uh, we are probably not going to dive too deep into that, but I, I want to mention it just because that is obviously kind of hanging over all of this. Um, and honestly, I feel like there's... There's ways that the ownership search is probably influencing what Peyton's doing. So it is worth mentioning. Uh, the other thing is, before I forget, guys, if you don't already follow AJ on Twitter, go do it. He is at AJDraftScout on Twitter. Um, Yeah, I mean, where are you landing with the coaching stuff at this point? I have been told that I am lazy and uninformed if I do not like certain candidates. I have been told that I better get on board. Uh, at one point, somebody accused me that I hate everybody, which is not true. Uh, honestly, the funniest thing about this to me is by and large, what I've been trying to do on Twitter. And again, I am not always good at this. So guys call me on this. I, I appreciate it, but I have been trying to give goods and bads from all the candidates as best I can. The, the one thing that's kind of standing out to me in all this is like, as the narratives kind of continue to roll off the rails, I can't help but be like, yeah, that's bullshit. Cause like, a lot of the stuff that is out there at this point on social media and a lot of the stuff being pushed by the Broncos themselves, it's not all true.
0: Yeah, it's it's either a stretch or just completely misleading. Like like you said, it's it's just total BS. It's on um, it, most of it, and it's illogical. <laughs> like some of some of the arguments, and and they the flip flop between stances depending on the day. Um, that, that, and that's, that's what bothers me the most about this coaching search is it's like, there's no honest, well, I mean, we, we try. Well, and that's like, and
1: that's what we're, I'd like to think that that's what we're trying to do is again, you guys might, those of you listening at the end of the day, you guys might not agree with everything we say. You might not agree with where me and AJ land on candidates. You might not agree with where we land on players, all that. But like the one thing I have tried to take pride in since I started doing this podcast is I am shooting to it to you straight. I am not doing this to carry water for anybody. I'm not doing this to keep in anybody's good graces. I am a fan of the Broncos. I want them to be good. And I think you listening also want them to be good. So I think like at the end of the day, that's what we're all kind of approaching this from. And my hope is that you come out of listening to our episodes more informed.
0: Yeah. Like I, 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 I don't know if any of the listeners actually know that I'm not, I'm not a Broncos fan. I, I was just, I was hired I was no, just oh, just right, just I'll leave i leave. leave no but I was hired to cover the team and I want to cover a good competitive team like like and that that's my one thing is I want the team to be good I want them to be fun I want them to be competitive like that's the whole angle so I, like I got accused of being a Broncos fan on Twitter at one point because I was like let's go with James Cook and Javante Williams in the backfield like screw it let's go for it somebody was like okay broncos fanboy or whatever I'm like no i just think this guy's good and i want to cover him like he's awesome um like that that's my whole goal is to just be a straight shooter like i don't have i'm not trying to butter up with the broncos i'm not trying to get get further in the denver media i mean like it'd be nice you know it'd be nice to move up the ladder but like my my whole goal isn't to like you know work out oh, push an agenda for somebody. Like, that's not what I'm about. I don't I don't buy that, personally. Like, I, I have a degree in political science and I got away from it because I didn't like it. And sure enough, it's followed me to sports. Um, but, <laughs> but like, it, that to me, it, it bothers me with how inconsistent this process has been. Where the leaps in logic occur like we, I I could keep going on and on no, about you. the process, but, but like the way it's being covered, is almost like the only other level I could I've seen in this coaching cycle was Ian Rappaport covering for Trent balky <laughs> with Bill O'Brien. That
1: was hilarious. Like that's
0: that was a hali- that's a hey, a hey, Tom Pelissero. Like shout out to him for for coming at Ian and be like, well, maybe he's a head coach for Ian, but not the Jacksonville Jaguars, but like. Like that, I don't I don't like that. Like the, the carrying water stuff bothers
1: me. Um, and, and I want to say that as somebody who has been kind of going through, you know, since Elway was the GM, now into Peyton, that to me has been probably the biggest real change in terms of like trying to cover the team. Since Peyton became a GM, it seems like the coverage of the Broncos has become a lot more militant. Uh, like people are out like, and this is big, like bigger name. Guys are out here trying to slam fans for questioning the team that they root for. Like, and I, and to me, I just think that that's bullshit. Like, yes, and I understand. I understand that it is an inconvenience for your job. That a fan does not like one of the candidates. But at the end of the day, like they're invested in the team. You're getting paid. Like at the end of the day, it's your job. If you don't like it, just ignore them and move on. And I'm not trying to call anyone out. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, start shit with a bunch of people. But I just think, like, as fans, like, that is what we're trying to do. Again, if you disagree with us, if I'm wrong on a candidate, I'm wrong on a candidate. Like, I've been wrong. Like, I thought Freddie Kitchens was not a dumpster fire until it was very clear he was a dumpster fire. I will admit that. Like, I have no, it doesn't bother me that I was wrong. Like, I learned from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, and and the problem with that, with the militant attitude shifting in media, is it leads to fans going, "Well, I'll just trust George Payton and whatever he does because that to me is silly like that this the nfl does not care about you like i i want to make that abundantly the nfl does not care one lick they don't like so so going oh I just blindly trust well blindly trust is how you end up with freaking urban meyer right because like there's no there's no answer like you don't have to answer to anybody if it's all just blind trust right and like that that's a problem. I, I, I just I, I maybe it's just because of my natural attitude to where like, I don't blindly trust anybody outside of like, my core group of people.
1: Well, I think also, but
0: the NFL doesn't deserve doesn't have a reputation of being the most <laughs> reputable. Like they lie daily. I mean, that's the game. I, I Yeah. That and so like blindly going in and going yeah, I'll just trust whatever he says because because he hit on a few rookie picks. I, like it, it, it's the same fan base that criticized him for getting Teddy Bridgewater, and then yep, him starting Teddy Bridgewater, and well, then now and
1: that's why they and fired that's,
0: he fired Fangio, and now he's just earned some blind trust.
1: And that's like, why that I think a lot of fans. And again, I don't I don't want to bog us down too much in this because I know listeners want like we want to actually talk about the coaching search. I get that. Like I'm not trying to. But right, yeah, but but, but but teams just to kind of be aware, like teams do employ people to craft positive images of what's going on. And part of that is like you create this like perceived gap between George Payton and the Teddy Bridgewater accusation uh, a- acquisition. And I want to say, like to me, Teddy Bridgewater wasn't even a bad choice, but you have people in the media coming out and saying, oh, well, he was the coach's pick and it's like. Guys, use your brains. Who is the GM? Who actually makes that call? So, and as a Rams fan, you probably lived through a lot of this before they got McVay. So, like, no, but you have firsthand experience with this, whereas a lot of Broncos fans are coming into this from, for the first 45, 50 years, like, basically since since Reeves was hired, since, like, the 70s, the Broncos have been, like, pretty good. This is the worst stretch in Broncos history for the last six years. Well, when your teams are bad, what you do is you pay more for PR. That's just the truth of it. Um, So let's kind of move into the coaching search because I want to get with three facts. I don't know if you know this, AJ. I want to – listeners might know this, listeners might not. But did you know the Broncos have actually hired 16 coaches since 1960? Uh, So Mike Shanahan and Dan Reeves are like obviously the most famous of the two. They coached for 26 years, but outside of those two, there is only one coach who was coached in Denver who lasted m- five years or more. Every other coach was fired before the end of five years. And since 2011, so since Elway joined the front office, the Broncos have hired and fired Ford. Like they hired John Fox, Gary Kubiak, Vic Fangio, Vance Joseph. And this is the fifth coach since 2011. So all the things you're going to hear once a new coach is hired about He's a leader of men. He's the right choice. He's all the stuff. Maybe it's true. Let's all hope, but, but don't, don't bet your life on it. Like it, it might be right. It might not be right. And, and a lot of people accuse me of being a hater because I'm, I'm trying to approach this pragmatically, but the truth is the Broncos have been a turnstile for coaches for a decade now.
0: Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting to me about that is, uh, like, if you are a, a say you're a like a Dan Quinn or even like an Eric Biennami, or you know, they were like, there was some buzz about Leslie Frazier at one point. Um, like, if, if you're a older pro, like an older coach, for example, or like one trying to break through, or, or if you're in the case of Dan Quinn where you've already failed one somewhere, because let, let's be honest, he failed in Atlanta, if you've already failed. Elsewhere, why would you, you know? And I mean, that's just one shot. Because if he, if you, know, if he gets hired in Denver and fails again, he's not going to be hired as a head coach again. So I, I think it's, I think the turnstile approach with a new owner coming in like begs the question of if maybe that's why they're going after so many younger candidates is maybe maybe they want somebody to grow with the team, somebody who you know, is is fine taking on that risk.
1: And and I think it's interesting about this too, is there's been a lot of debate in Broncos country about the idea that the Broncos job is the best job. Uh Mike Tanne Mike Tannebaum went on to uh Ari Merivov's uh podcast and said Jacksonville is, without a doubt. And it's because of Trevor Lawrence. And 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 again, I understand the hesitation based around everything else with Jacksonville, but they have a stable ownership. They have a quarterback. For better or worse. For better yeah. or worse. No, but but you know what you have. And that's And that's one of those things with this situation with Denver that it's easy to overlook it because there's a lot of faith in George Payton. But if a candidate doesn't have that faith in George Payton, and you just look at this job from an objective view, the Broncos do not have a quarterback unless you believe that they're going to land Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, or, you know, one of those guys, they don't have an owner and the new owner is coming in in March. So the new owner will come in after you are hired. And if they don't like you, you're already on thin ice. Yeah. So for a Dan Quinn who is, this is probably going to be his last chance at a head coaching job. There is a possibility that he goes elsewhere. He is interviewing everywhere.
0: Yeah. I I, I know he, he has interviewed there's a lot of buzz about him uh for Minnesota. I know I know Miami, I know there was some from Miami as well because he had coached there previously. Um I believe he worked there under Saban. Um and that's where he and George Payton linked up. Um, but like Dan Quinn has you know some buzz because the NFL loves their you know retreats. Um But it, like there's there's a lot of, of interesting candidates to me this year that I am actually I'm pretty excited to share what I know on here and kind of give perspectives on everybody. Uh, there we we obviously know who the leading candidates are at this point. Um, they show I I believe they're interviewing Gannon as we are recording this right yes yeah so and then they'll have the enemy and O'Connell O'Connell over the weekend
1: yep and that'll that'll be it uh and that's kind of as we record this again guys we're recording on Wednesday as we are recording this Dan Quinn is the odds-on favorite based on NFL Network insiders based on local insiders based on Vegas basically everybody expects Dan Quinn to be the guy and he has been the reported favorite since October. Uh do you think it's just a matter of time?
0: Yeah. I, I just I think when a guy when you when, when he becomes a favorite in October before you've even fired the head coach, and then that doesn't disappear after you do any of these interviews. A, a it's it's a tad suspect, by the way. Um B, it's also kind of like, yeah. I, We've not seen any indication that he wouldn't be the candidate, unless he unless he physically turns it down, yep. right? Like that—that's the only way I see it.
1: And I, now, I think because
0: the, the pecking order has been one Dan Quinn to everybody else, really. I mean, <laughs> if Broncos Broncos fans want Hackett, according you know by it. A lot of polls. I, I think we at Mile High Report did a poll. Yep. And Hackett Hackett won.
1: Hackett had more than double it. the votes of any other candidate.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's easy to see why, because you know, he's just been successful everywhere. Um, but like that's it it seems like the Broncos leadership is going for Dan Quinn, for better or worse.
1: And and I wanna say like my view on this at this point is I think one of three things is going on in terms of like the Dan Quinn to Broncos type of reports. I think, as you said, I think it might be a, he's always been the guy. And most of these interviews are kind of just a dog and pony show to collect into information, to network, kind of see what's out there, maybe hire a coordinator. That's a B. I think he's the front runner and someone is going to have to beat him for the job, but Peyton's considering it or C he's one of 10. And Peyton has showed us last off season that, he's kind of the king of leaking blue dye down the pipes and seeing where the actual leaks are. So maybe, you know, maybe like that's kind of like the off chance of that. He's just kind of seeing who is actually trying yeah. to report on me because last yeah, offseason season there was this huge disconnect between national reports and local information about who the Broncos were pursuing as far as quarterbacks go. The difference is this year, obviously everybody is reporting Dan Quinn. This is not the same but maybe in terms of like the actual specifics of the leaks, maybe I, I kind of doubt it, but maybe.
0: Yeah. And somebody had tweeted out um, and I wish I could remember the name, but I don't at the moment that George Payton had never even met with Patrick Sertan before yeah. he tracked yep. him. Yep. And I, so I, they were, they were like, they were like, it's kind of weird that this is leaking out. And this has been like this since October. And, and again, like it wouldn't, if it were just a Denver media thing, I'd be like, okay. But, but when when it, it's nationally, everybody's kind of going, yeah, Dan Quinn, whatever, and they move on. I I kind of take that point stood, and that that bothers me by the fact that he was viewed as the favorite. I mean, we were getting reports of Dan Quinn with a Shanahan style offense before November. what the November, yeah, before before the Eagles game.
1: Yep, I mean like. Before the bye week, even like, that's just stupid to me. That that bothers me. I have a lot of concerns yeah. about it because I, I do. And again, there, there's two aspects to this. So it's, it, it makes it hard to talk about on Twitter because, you know, the character limit, people just get mad at the first thing they see. On the one hand, I don't like it because it to me, it feels like a bad faith process. It makes it look like all you're really doing with all the other candidates is just kind of yanking them around and wasting their time. And it's kind of just for show. I don't like that if that's what is going on. I'm not saying it is, but if that's what's going on. On the other hand, if you're George Payton and you know that the ownership situation is in, in very much in flux and you might only have one chance to really get this right with one year to potentially get this right, you're probably going to go with the safest option. The guy you know, the guy you feel comfortable with, the guy that you've wanted to work with since 2008. And that is Dan Quinn, uh, for better or worse.
0: Yeah, for worse.
1: And that's, well, yeah. that's, what are your, what are your thoughts on Dan Quinn? Like, the, we've had another week to really digest and dig into him. Where where do you land on him?
0: I I think you could do, you, you could do worse, as evidenced by the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars hired Urban Meyer and then actually considered Bill O'Brien for a brief second, um, or several days, you know. Shout out, shout out to the Jacksonville fans, by the way, for the best social media movement of 2020, or 2021, rather. Like, that, the clown, anyways. Uh, to me, I, I, listen, I grew up in Atlanta. I spent 18 years of my life there. Every single person I've ever talked to when I mentioned Dan Quinn, they just laugh. Like, every Falcons fan that I know just laughs. They, they, and they're like, Really? Dan Quinn, really? And and like that's not a surprise given his track record and resume, right? Like, sure, he was the coach for a Super Bowl. Yeah, like, who- whoopee. We know what happened in the Super Bowl. We know what got him there in the Super Bowl, and it wasn't Dan Quinn.
1: What's ironic about Dan Quinn to me is that Vic fan. And I, I mentioned this last week, but Vic Fangio got fired and the narrative is he's a good defensive coordinator, but he couldn't hack it as a head coach. Dan Quinn is actually that guy as well in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and and again, I'm not, I'm not saying he won't be successful going forward, but when you look at what he's done, he was very, very good with Seattle, with the Legion of boom. Just a, just have, you know, three Hall of Famers or yeah. four, including yeah. Bobby Wack. Just, just have that, you know. But, but he won. Um, you know, they won a Super Bowl. They went to another one and lost. Um, and honestly, they <laughs> should have won that. As a, a when he was a defensive coordinator, then he ended up going to Atlanta, and in year two, they went to the Super Bowl. Twenty-eight to three happened. Um, yeah. and I and I know for Broncos fans, it's going to be easy to blame Kyle Shanahan for that because. Kyle Shanahan's not going to be the head coach. So he's the scapegoat in this scenario, but here's the thing. Dan Quinn fired his defensive coordinator after that game, like Shanahan left for a new job. Dan Quinn fired his defensive coordinator. So he replaced both coordinators in 2017, which in and of itself, like the fact that he fired a guy does imply that he knows the defense let him down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And like, and the thing is is how much, I mean how much, how much can we really blame Miles Janahan in, in that instance
1: He scored 28 points instance. on the New England Patriots
0: yeah. yeah yeah and I mean like sure but but you know what also cost them really stupid penalties consistently almost every game. Dan Quinn's teams were one of the most heavily penalized every year and guess what they are in Dallas. One of the most heavily, I think they're like tied for second in the NFL, most penalties. So like somebody asked me today, so if Shanahan did the offense and Raheem Morris was the only one who was able to actually coach a defense, um, And we'll get into that a little bit later. Then what did Dan Quinn do? And I, I almost responded snarkily with saying, well, he blew 14 leads and had the most consistent, you know, most consistently penalized team one of them at least he was he was usually top 10 every year at the at the very lowest top 10 every year so like what did he contribute that that on uh, un- on un- un- a disciplined team and we saw what happened in dallas right i mean like, are we are we sure he's learned enough under mike mccarthy <laughs> like are, are we do we feel comfortable with that because i wouldn't as a gm i
1: wouldn't so so beyond beyond that and, I, and we're going to get onto that a little bit. But one of the things I, I this came up in a conversation earlier today between a buddy uh, who's a Chiefs fan. And it just kind of we we got to the topic of how Andy Reid grooms his coaches uh, because we were talking about Eric the enemy. And ever since I had that conversation with him, I I was thinking about, well, does Dan Quinn because that that is one of these ideas of like leaders of men His coordinators are replaceable because he'll have another guy, you know, set up. It's cool. Well, I went and looked and it is not promising. (laughs) Uh, So, and again, you and I, on this space, you and I have talked about this before, but Kyle Shanahan resigned from the Browns as their coordinator to leave and join Dan Quinn. That is a feather in his cap. Like, to his credit, Kyle Shanahan did want to join him. I'm not taking that away from him. But But, but the
0: reason why he wanted to join him was because his Seattle team beat him. Yeah. in the playoffs, and he wanted to study Dan Quinn's defense. Like he's like, yeah, sure, Dan Quinn is a great guy, but the reason I took it was to study his defense. And and that's why. I mean, he this is this isn't like some. I'm not like this is an open source article. This yeah. isn't me trying to say per sources. This is what this one guy said. No, like, Shanahan. No, this said is it. an NBC. This is an NBC Sports article directly quoting Kyle Shanahan for saying it.
1: So yeah. after after Kyle Shanahan left, Dan Quinn replaced him. The next day with Steve Sarkeesian, who was the offense coordinator of Alabama. So he did not groom a guy to take that job after two years. uh, He fired Sark and he hired Dirk Cutter, who he had beaten. Dirk Cutter was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach uh, the week before he became the coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons offense. Uh, So on offense, every single coordinator was an outside source that came in and coordinated the offense. Uh, and at one point I know Steve Sarkisian was essentially trying to run the Shanahan offense by learning it and then running it like that. And again, that's a whole thing, but, but you weren't grooming the guy to do this. So like this idea that he's just going to have continuity on that side of the ball, maybe, but there's no proof of it. That is my point. Yeah. And that, and that's yeah. why the spin, the spin does not lead to, there's no truth there. The other yeah, thing and, is you look, but you look at the defense and it's a similar story. I just want to touch on this. Yeah, Which yeah, Richard Smith was hired from the Broncos. He was a linebacker coach with the Broncos from 2011 to 2014. He became the Falcons' defensive coordinator in 2015 with Dan Quinn. After 28 to three in the Super Bowl, Richard Smith was fired, and then they replaced him. And this is actually the grooming guy—the one exception here. Uh, Dan Quinn promoted Marcand Manuel, who came to Atlanta as a secondary coach, and he became the defensive coordinator. Manuel lasted two years, but then the, his contract expired and they never, they never re-upped it. And then he was replaced yeah. by Raheem Morris, who came from Washington as an assistant coach at one point, and he was the assistant head coach slash pass game coordinator. So he, he was already previously a DB coach and a head coach. So he wasn't groomed to be coordinator. Yeah.
0: And what's, what's interesting about when the, after they fired Manuel, Dan Quinn assumed the d- duties of defensive coordinators start the 2019 year in Atlanta. he assumed the duties he said i'll do it Uh, and they were awful they started one and seven their defense was just straight garbage um pretty consistently and i mean they weren't playing a lot of good teams either i mean like you've got some slightly like you've got some decent numbers but i mean he lost to you know the seven and nine vikings like i think was it houston that put up like 53 points on them like, they were just... They they couldn't generate any pressure. They were horrible. So he said, oh, crap. This isn't working. Uh, if they continue to suck, uh, here you go, Raheem Morris. You can be a defensive coordinator. Here you go. And lo and behold, after he handed it off to Raheem Morris, the defense improved. I mean, drastically. I mean, the, the numbers are just totally different. Which pokes quite a few holes <laughs> to me. Because if it was truly defaulted fault of the GM then
1: well it's it's a, know, it's a it's similar would... it's a similar story in 2005 uh, 2020 as well though uh the the Falcons started 0 and 5 and if you look at the numbers by DVOA the Falcons had the, the third worst defense in football Dan Quinn was fired Raheem Morris becomes the interim head coach and over the the, the rest of the season the D, by D, by DVOA the defense improves to 14th overall yeah.
0: It was their well, only negative DVOA performance, which is great. For defense, you want a negative DVOA. Yeah. It was their only one
1: in standpoint. And so he and fired. so for me the concern is like we know he's a good coordinator. Like when he's a defensive coordinator, he's a pretty good coordinator. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we we have absolutely no proof that when he's a head coach, he will a fix the defense. Uh and actually kind of like the opposite based on like what we know. And B yeah, and B and B he's not necessarily going to lead to some sort of consistency on offense. Other than it looks like they're going to try and run a Shanahan style if he's doing what he did in Atlanta, and reports suggest that's kind of where they're heading.
0: Yeah. What, what's interesting to me is that, like, when you look at that 2016 offensive staff, if he was really grooming a guy, he would have probably promoted Matt Lafleur. You would think so. He was so. a quarterbacks coach. He was a quarterbacks. Coach. I mean, you look at that. You look at that team and it's like oh they have bobby turner who is the running backs coach for the 49ers they're freaking awesome
1: those assistants right?
0: they, I, I went and looked mike, at my floor mike mcdaniel like they're all really good
1: all and those assistants them, are shanahan assistants is the thing that stood out to me when i looked at that yeah uh matt lafleur mike lafleur marcan Manuel. again we talked about him but mike mcdaniel um rich gangarello so again like all these yeah. guys when shanahan left those guys left yeah
0: Jeff Ulrich is now with um, Solid and is in the uh, with the Jets. Uh, like, like, there's there's so many connections back to Shanahan. And then, like, the reason he hired Sark was because Sark spent spring training with them after he was fired from USC. Like, he was an analyst for Alabama after he was fired. You know, the, the whole route of, you fail as a head coach, you go be an analyst at Alabama, boom, you fix. You know, Saban just Smashes a hammer three times and boom, you're done. Like, that's how it goes. And then he was hired because of that. Like, like it's not like he went out and did anything special. He like, he was just there with the team that year. He was just one of a few coaches that was there. So, and then you have Dirk Cutter, who was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons before Dan Quinn. Yep. When they were successful on offense. I yep. mean, like, you look at as soon as they hired, or as soon as they drafted Matt Ryan. The team never dipped below 14th in offensive DVOA. Yep. Until, until the Dan Quinn, like with, with cutter, that's when they did.
1: And and that actually gets me to the the one. And again, I know we're beating up on Dan Quinn. So guys, guys listening, I'm not trying to make you feel all the dread in the world, but I just, I think this needs to be out there because again, we're going to see all the spin if he's hired. Uh, and oh, it's just, wow. it's all, and it's all yeah. not all of it, but a lot of it is bullshit. And I, and I got, I think you yeah, guys deserve really to know it. the truth about it. Like, let's all know that this is happening and then just hope for the best because that's kind of where we're at. But, but there's going to yeah. be probably three primary narratives about Dan Quinn as a, as a work of defense about him, the first one. And we touched on this a lot now. The idea that, well, the Falcons were always good on offense, so it's cool the Atlanta Falcons were a historically good offense under Kyle Shanahan, 2016. It's probably not realistic to ever expect them to become historically good after he left, but they were never a top five offense again. So it's, it's not like they were good. They, they dipped back to right around where the floor of Matt Ryan's been for the, the yeah. rest of his time there. Yeah.
0: yeah because of that freaking Ryan. Matt Ryan's yeah. one of the 10 best quarterbacks for the last decade. Like it's phenomenal. And that, that's what's bizarre to me is now it's like, oh, Matt Ryan was actually bad. And that's why I'm like, no. Like, I, I don't <laughs> get Matt that. Matt Ryan's a Hall of Famer. Like, like, that's silly to me. But, like, when you look at their offensive numbers previously, I mean, under Mike Smith. Yep. I believe it's Mike Smith. Yeah. It was. I mean, were, it was. Mike they Smith. Were, here's, they were just killing.
1: Here's the thing. Mike Smith compiled a 66-46 and 46 record during his time in Atlanta. And it was. He also had the three best, like the best three year regular season stretch in Atlanta's history. Um, And they fired him. They fired (laughs) him after back to back losing seasons at the end. But like in between there, they basically they didn't have back to back losing seasons, which was like such a turn for Atlanta. Atlanta before Mike Smith became the head coach in Atlanta, because again, I have friends. It was
0: Bobby Petrino.
1: But but I have friends and family in Atlanta too, so I've I've been really kind of you know kind of aware of them for a long time. Atlanta historically used to be a they're good one year. They're bad. The next they are good one year. They're bad. The next during the Mike Smith era, they weren't for a big stretch there. They were good, like eight and eight or better until the very end of it. And then he had two bad years and Thomas Dimitroff fired him. Uh, and that's actually one of the other narratives. I think we're going to see a lot of as Dan Quinn is hired. If he's hired is that the Falcons didn't draft. Well, during Dan Quinn's time yeah. in Atlanta and and i just want to i want to come out and say that i looked into this last night i was up to like three in the morning looking at this i don't know why it's bullshit. it's complete bullshit. it's total so bullshit. So, so first of all yeah. thomas dimitrov was twice named nfl executive of the of the year by sporting news and again that's not ap but but it does it says something about what the media was viewing of his job and he won the second time in 2010 after the Falcons posted a 33-15 and 15 regular season record over a three-year stretch. So it was like a, a lifetime achievement award is what they tried to do. But once Dan Quinn was hired, Thomas Dimitrov was in charge of six NFL drafts. Five members of those draft classes made at least one Pro Bowl during Quinn's tenure. Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper, Vic Beasley, Ken Neal, and Deion Jones. Five Dimitrov draft picks that Quinn inherited also made a Pro Bowl over this time. Julio Jones, Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan, Devontae Freeman, Desmond Trufant, and Jake Matthews. And on top of that, Ryan Beasley and Julio all made at least one all pro during this time. So during this stretch, like that Dan Quinn was the head coach in Atlanta, he had a lot of pro bowlers. And if you look at some of the guys that were drafted by Dimitrov during this time, they've gone on to be very successful other places. Like Austin Hooper got a big contract. Uh, Keanu Neal was a pretty good safety for, for Dan Quinn. The defensive coordinator this year, uh, Devondra Campbell looks like a steal for the Packers. Yeah, look at AJ Terrell, Eric Saber I mean, was a very decent tight end three for the Broncos. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's you know what's what's kind of funny, Joe. You are pointing this out is I, I've also looked at their draft history, and if you look under those Mike Smith years where they were winning, they they drafted like trash. I, I mean, you're, I mean it's like. After it was like after Matt Ryan, and then all the way to that 2013 draft was really when it kind of turned around. And weirdly enough, that's when they started uh, losing, <laughs> it was when they started drafting well. Um, but then, like, you had a couple guys, but I mean, there was nobody good, there's nobody standing out in that room. Yeah, I mean, you have, I think, like Sam Baker, um, Curtis, is it Curtis Lofton? sean witherspoon like yeah, a couple of guys who had a few good years but by and large you know you know it's some notable names you would recognize but you're not going oh yeah damn that guy was awesome like he was great so uh, yeah like harry Doug- harry douglas like that's kind of the most notable name out of out of all of those but like after but after 2013 they were drafting well i mean i mean like that that narrative is kind of silly like i think pff did a study in this they did from twenty, was it fourteen to 19, Twenty fourteen yeah. to twenty. Twenty from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty, and the, the Falcons the had the third best. best. Yeah, yeah. It was New Orleans at one, the Rams at two, and then and the Rams are at two because they hit on Aaron Donald, um, and number three was the Falcons because they drafted. I mean, look at the team now. I mean, Agent Terrell's a freaking superstar. Grady Jarrett's one of the best defensive tackles in all of football. Foye Oluokan just led the NFL in tackles, almost hit 200 tackles. That's insane, and he's a phenomenal player. He's going to get paid well this offseason. You still got Deion Jones, right? And then he drafted a whole lot of other good role players on defense too. Like
1: Russell Kizzi. Russell Russell Gage is a competent
0: receiver. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah you're talking uh, Demonte Kizzy, Ricardo Allen. He he drafted Keanu Neal. Like, it, it's not and Tack McKinley went to the Browns and all of a sudden looks like a really good player. So, like, that that narrative that he couldn't draft any good players is kind of silly, especially when Raheem Morris gets those same players and the defensive results improve. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why one coach can get the most out of these guys and the other one couldn't. Like, that, that it's it rakes. I mean, and then, like, we've, we've just drafted, we just touched on who he drafted on defense. I mean, you look on offense, Chris Lindstrom looks like a stud. He hit on Calvin Ridley. Like mental health aside, just Calvin Ridley, I hope he's doing well. Calvin Ridley was a superstar for Atlanta. He's phenomenal. Jake Matthews, phenomenal. Devontae Freeman at one point was like a top-five running back before he kind of got hit with
1: the injury bug and fell apart, as happens to almost every so, running back at some point. As happens, but you know, yeah. realistically, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and like, sure, yeah, he, he maybe missed on Caleb McGarry. There's still flashes of, of competent and good play with Caleb McGarry. Hope he figures it out. But by and large, when you compare him to other general managers around that same time period, Dimitrov was far, far, far from the worst.
1: And so that's that's the second narrative. The first narrative being the the offense will be fine even without Kyle Shannon. We don't know. We We don't really know because he also had Matt Ryan there. Second thing is the idea that the Falcons didn't draft well during his tenure. That's not true. That's just not true. The third it's is the third is this idea that Dan Quinn, because he's such a good defensive coordinator, the Broncos defense will remain a strength under Dan Quinn. I think the jury is out. And again, I'm not saying that that's a lie because, again, Dan Quinn has been a very good defensive coordinator. Like, that's indisputable. But, and I asked uh, PFF's Deontay Lee about this today, and I've talked to a couple coaching buddies about this. And obviously, like, I have eyes. There is a significant difference between the Fangio defense and the Dan Quinn defense. And Mm -hmm. you and I have talked about this a little bit already. The Broncos do not have the personnel on their front to just shift to a Dan Quinn defense without any sort of bumps. It's going, like, they're going to need to add to the defense if they want it to be a strength going forward.
0: Yeah, and I I don't mean, like, Oh, they have to have one guy to be no. They have to hit repeatedly.
1: The like, linebacker, the have, linebacker core. I think the defensive yeah. line. I don't think you have the edge got, talent got right gotta, now. No,
0: yeah, and they don't have the interior guys, right? No. I mean, like credit credit to Dallas because Dallas drafted a hell of a draft. Yeah,
1: they this did year for,
0: for Dan for Dan Quinn. I mean, Michael Parsons, you got Osei Atizua, I who was phenomenal as a rookie. I think Sports Info Solutions named him to their All Rookie Team. Right. And then you've got Trevon Diggs who you know, played well and turned it around, but like they brought in a lot of guys to fit his scheme. And so like maybe Denver could do that, but also Dallas had a lot of guys there. <laughs> they had Demarcus Lawrence already.
1: Right. Now, the, the, secret, had, the secret about Dallas is that Dallas had Gregory. Mike Dallas had Mike Nolan the year before they had Dan Quinn as part of it. And again, like this isn't to take away from Quinn. Like good on him. But when the, when the Cowboys hired Dan Quinn, I remember writing a way too early power rankings, you know, for the NFL. And I remember saying Dallas is going to be a top 10 team this year because Dan Quinn is going to give them a competent defense after Mike Nolan. And lo and behold, that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they still had the issues with penalties and that was, and that that's a huge concern moving forward for me, but like, he, he, there's a lot. They had a lot more pieces in Dallas than Denver does. I'm, I'm just gonna be honest with you. And, and they hit on Michael Parsons, and Michael Parsons just completely changed the game. So you know what? If they can find a Michael Parsons in this draft, yeah, which we all know there isn't one. At least where they'll be picking, there one, there isn't one. Um, and that,
1: and the defense was a little
0: overrated looking at the opposition,
1: but it it was built. It was built on turnovers and sacks. uh, good and bad. And again, fundamentally, I think that's what the biggest shift, like, if you really boil it down, that is the big difference between a Dan Quinn defense and a Fangio defense is that Fangio's defense is built around playing safe, making you go the length of the field a little bit at a time because you're going to screw up eventually. And they're going to be there to yeah, make to they, capitalize. They design, are designed. They are designed to take It's about making you fuck up.
0: Yeah, they their design. Fangio's design is to, you know what? If you're going to try and hit explosive plays, good luck, buddy. Good luck, because you know what? I will force you into third and seven. I will force you into third and eight. Dan Quinn's is just like, oh, if you have a left guard who's bad, I'm going to jam Michael Parsons down and third. Yep. Right. Like that's. And that's, and, and, and both of those are fine. They work great. But when you're trying to tailor personnel, it, like that, and the fact that they never had a good defense in Atlanta, that bothers me. But, like, I think
1: uh, in terms of personnel, it's a radical shift. It is. and I, And I think in terms of personnel on the Broncos, the players to me, without like going back and like really going over Cowboys at length yet, but from afar, the players that really stand out to me is ideal fits. Patrick Zertan is obviously basically schemeless, pretty close to schemeless. Uh, I wouldn't put him in like a Matt Eberflus scheme because he, I don't want him playing cover two and having to tackle that much. But, but he could play in a Dan Quinn scheme. I think he'll be fine. Uh, I think the Broncos have safeties that can play in it. It will be a shift uh, just because Dan Quinn's defense is not going to be as much quarters and split field coverages. It's going to be a lot more cover yeah. three and it's going to be a lot more single high. So we're going to see if, if you're worried, that's, that should be, if you're, if you are a worrier, that might be a concern just because the last time we saw Justin Simmons in a defense quite like this was 2018. Will parks actually had a better 2018 than Justin Simmons did. Uh, but that said, I, I believe that Justin Simmons has made enough strides since that that should be fine. I also think based on what we've seen from Caden Stearns, I think Caden Stearns is probably going to be just fine in a Dan Quinn defense it wouldn't surprise me if they go out and try to sign a guy who has already played in it just to kind of give them, you know, a backup, because I don't think you can necessarily count on Jamar Johnson at this point. It just hasn't shown anything, Uh, which isn't to say he can't, but he just hasn't yet. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, To
0: me, to me, Jamar Johnson is always, is more of a, I, I don't necessarily want him playing. Like I would want him playing more split field than having to crash down. I would just 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 just, from just what we saw in college bill the big like, the big hole think... in
1: his game coming out of college was tackling
0: yeah and, and the thing is is that we saw you know the Broncos this year were surprising the amount of cover one like i mean it was just it's like third down it's like i think it was like 48 percent of the time they were in cover one and you know who flew down the field it was justin Simmons right like like so he can do it he can get he can do it don't get me wrong But to me, then you have to look at everywhere else. He's going to try and go for a bare front defense. That's what he's, that's he's tried and true bare front defense. I don't think they have the dogs up front to successfully run a bare front defense.
1: I think Bradley Chubb, if he's healthy, is going to be okay. Maybe.
0: Yeah.
1: If he's healthy. If he's healthy. And again, like, you know, everything with Chubb kind of depends on that. But, but Chubb, Chubb has been the weakest of the three in terms of uh, like Malik Reed Von Miller and barely Chubb the big three Chubb was the weakest of the coverage of those three so like not having to do that as much will help him I think Chubb is big enough and strong enough to be good when he has to rush inside so I think that is okay uh but I mean I think Malik Reed is miscast in a, in a Dan Quinn defense uh I think Draymond Jones should be fine but you're gonna need more around him uh in terms of linebackers I it's anyone's guess I I think Baron Browning can do it based on like, I'm a big believer in Baron Browning. Uh, I think he's essentially like a poor man's Micah Parsons or Micah Parsons. Uh, But you need somebody next to him. And Alexander Johnson is a three, four linebacker. Josie Jewell is probably a three, four linebacker. You don't want him playing in Dan Quinn's defense. So that's that's what was
0: a concern to me was I was trying to figure out like, okay, so if they do draft, well, if, if who would they re-signed? Like Alexander Johnson is
1: Kenny Young, a maybe. little better,
0: a little better, a little better blitzer. Then I think Alexander Johnson can go sideline to sideline. It's nobody's business. But like, who who, who are who are they going to have? Is like playing that KJ Wright role? Who's going to be like filling all these different roles? Who's like, are you going to ask Baron Bar- 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 Browning to do the same things that he did, Bobby Wagner? I like it, and, and like when you look at his time in Atlanta, what they did with Oluokum was just some awesome stuff. Because he was a safety converted to linebacker who has the fluidity of a freaking corner. Like they played him at outside corner, like so he did a lot there. Denver does not have that, and, and <laughs> they, they, they have and like, maybe clear. maybe Graham Browning is like his Deion Jones, maybe.
1: And to be clear, they they can obviously they can draft people, but it's just for for those of us like looking already at the personnel of like how it shifts, it creates needs on the defense doing this shift, and that's it is a concern for me. Uh, it's something yeah. that it then it and, then creates a situation where we're looking to see what they bring in to fix this.
0: Yeah, and, and then you also run into the problem of, well, they need a
1: lot of talent
0: upgraded on defense to be able to run it,
1: but they're going to maybe try and trade for Aaron Rodgers, and they're but not going to have any maybe cap room. Try
0: it. yeah. They're not going to happen exactly. So you handicap yourself that way, unless you're trying, unless you're going to say, "Hey Dan, go away from everything you've ever done in your core tendencies and run what we want you to run." And you're never going to ask a head coach to do that, right? Because at the end of the day, tried and true, it's going to be a cover three, like, and he's it's going to rely on the pass rush, and Denver's pass rush is atrocious. Like Vic Fangio, like. The fact that Vic Fangio can get top ten defenses regularly, with the with how bad their their pass rush was, was mind-boggling. And the way he was able to scheme guys up—I mean, he had people thinking Malik Reed was something special. I mean, no, he just schemed up really well. <laughs> like Vic Fangio deserves all the credit, and, and like Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator, because of his expertise as a defensive line coach and his growth and growth from there has done a lot of really good things coaching that unit up, right? I mean, we saw the Dallas, Dallas Dallas's defensive line was phenomenal this year. We saw what happened with Randy Gregory. I've already mentioned Odikizua. Um, God, there's a Justin Hamilton that flashed, some, flashed a lot. The Neville Gallimore. They had, they had a lot of other guys up on that defensive line. And like, he has a lot of the minutiae stuff down well, like even defensive line rotations, like, Matty F. Brown, who covers Seattle, talks about how that was the biggest difference between him and Chris Richard was Dan Quinn had a lot of that stuff down and Richard did. not So, again, Dan Quinn is a great defensive coach, a phenomenal defensive coordinator based on his track record.
1: As a head coach, they had awful defenses every well, year. Well, and and let's I want to really kind of like spell it because you're, you're right. Like he, and again, he has proven as a defensive coach. So like there is some confidence on my part that in time it would work out. But the idea behind hiring a Dan Quinn in my mind is that like, you should be able to get off the ground in 2022. That's the idea is that there will not, there will not be an adjustment period. There's not going to be a long run up to him figuring it out because he's already done this. He should know what he's doing. And then and then the question is, well, you're going through a big scheme change on defense and you don't necessarily have the personnel. So then how do you acquire the personnel? And as a head coach, he's probably not going to have the same amount of time to actually sit down and work over the minutia with each guy. So then you have to count on him hiring an assistant. Again, this is all hypothetical. So, like, I want to move away from Quinn because I do feel like we're beating up on him. Um, it's easy
0: to it's easy to be a but but
1: but I but I just want to <laughs> say and again but like honestly. I don't hate him like I don't I don't hate Dan Quinn if he's the coach I am optimistic that like he's been to three Super Bowls there isn't gonna be a run up like I am optimistic that maybe he can figure it out Um, I just I am not at all sold on it and I don't think I'm gonna be at all sold on it after we hear the spin about it um,
0: yeah because I because I know the, the spin is mostly bullshit.
1: So that's what
0: bothers me the most. It's like, I don't care about Dan Quinn. Like, like ultimately, whatever. If they hire him, they hire him. But like, the spin and all of these narratives are just bad. They're just bad. Like, and they're easily counterable. What what
1: ends up happening, and this is my, I watched this happen with Pat Shermer. When Pat Shermer was hired, me and Jeff were out in front saying, We thought it was a bad idea because you're disrupting the offense. And we weren't necessarily sold on Shermer. And then the spin was, you know, explosive offense. Look what he did with Saquon Barkley. Look what he did with Eli Manning. And then two years later, everybody hates Pat Shermer. And we're all like fans are surprised that he did not work out. And it's like, guys, I was out here saying, like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back with this. It's just part of
0: the problem with
1: part of the problem with all the spin is that you're just misleading fans. And then they're just disappointed later. And so my concerns with me,
0: to me, this sets up a, it, oh, if it doesn't work out. Oh, it, it's, it's the personnel, you know, like if it doesn't work out you're one and he goes and he goes with his track record and he goes like seven to nine or whatever. You go, oh, it's, it's a personnel adjustment. That's why, that's why it didn't work out. And you're like, okay, okay, sure. Sure. Yeah. Leopard with the spots, you know?
1: <laughs> so since we're haters, uh, today, yeah. uh, I think the next fair thing is to then say, well, if you hate Dan Quinn so much, He's not hired yet. Like, as of, as of right now, uh, as we are recording this, there is a possibility, obviously. Broncos are still interviewing the other other candidates. So I want to look at the 10 candidates that are actually interviewing for the job. Uh, kind of, like, work through where we land on them uh, in terms of, like, I have a ranking. I don't know if you want to do that. Um, we can just discuss it if that's easier. But but I do want to talk about this because, again, like, Dan Quinn, as, as we're recording this, is not set in stone yet. There is a possibility that somebody else is hired. So I want to go over the names really quick just because, you know, for those listening, if you guys don't know them. Um, but obviously Dan Quinn, but then Callan Moore, who is the Cowboys offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, who is the Packers offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who's the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, who is the Bengals offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, who is the Rams offensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, uh, Aaron Glenn, Jonathan Gannon, sorry. Jonathan Gannon, who is the Eagles defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, who is the Lions defensive coordinator, Gerard Mayo, who is the Pats inside linebacker coach, and then Luke Getzey, who is the quarterback coach. Uh, the one thing, and again, I've mentioned this a lot, but I think it's worth noting. Quinn is the only former head coach. So, yeah. so part of the reason why we're able to actually look at his resume like it is, is because he is a former head coach. It's not a guarantee that some of these other guys are better just because we don't know it. But it is... Notable that he is the only coach that they're hiring who has been a head coach before or that they're looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so with that said. I want to start at 10 and we'll work our way up because I think that's fair. Okay. I, I don't want Jonathan Gannon at all. I God help me if they hire him.
0: Okay. That was my nine. So we're pretty close. We're pretty similar.
1: Who's um, your, who's yeah, your The enemy. Okay. So let's go over Gannon first. Yeah.
0: Gannon to me is way too unproven. Um, His defense was heavily overrated this year. And he has too many connections to the previous Broncos staff. Like like, way too many for me to go, Yeah, no, I'm not signing off on that. And of course, I I think Albright today said he was a dark horse sleeper. So (laughs) like, when you look at the Philadelphia defense this year, they were, I mean, like the first half of the month when they played all the good offenses, or the first half of the season, excuse me, when they played all the good offenses. The fan, the players rioted, right? They would just openly spoke out against Gannon repeatedly, and then when they play a bunch of really bad offenses, except for Justin Herbert and Dak, who both both just absolutely slaughtered the defense. They. They won, and oh my gosh, the defense looks great when they're going up against really, you know, Taylor Heineke and Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm twice. Um, But, like, it was an overrated unit. Gannon is, to me, he's way too unproven. Like, I, as I was writing his profile, I was like, there's nothing, like, maybe in time, I'd be like, sure, okay. You know, and it could give it a couple years, uh, and, and, like, if the defense continues to improve, right, he gets a linebacker. I, I think they're, they're like a N'Kobe Dean away from being really good, um, at least in that linebacker room. But he's just way too far for me to go. So here's my
1: Five different quarterbacks completed 80% or more of their passes on the Jonathan Gannon defense this year. From 1950 to 2020. Yeah. I'm, th- I understand that limitations with personnel were a big part of it. Gannon the idea is Gannon went to like his five man fronts in part because he didn't trust his safeties to be able to come down and play the run out of too high structure. So the idea is that like you hire a Jonathan Gannon, he's probably going to be like a Vic Fangio esque type of defensive guy.
0: Maybe,
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's how it would be sold. But I, I just, like you said, he has been a coordinator for one year. He hasn't, he wasn't that good as a defensive coordinator. And I don't, Unless we're in the room, and again, I'm open to all the candidates and the idea that George Payton's in the room with them. Like, he's going to know an aspect of this that we don't. So, like, there is a certain degree of, if they're hired, I am going to root for the best. But on this side of it, this is where I'm at. I think yeah. Jonathan Cannon would be a horrible hire.
0: Yeah. I, I just don't. Again, like, to me, it's, it's too unproven. And all the ties to the coaching staff previously, like, they fired the previous guys for a reason. Because they didn't get a job. It and like, if you're wanting, I get you're wanting to go young. But I think there's a point of being too young. Yeah, so I, I, I backed off on that.
1: So you have Eric, um, you have Eric B enemy down there, though. What where, where, where do you land with yeah. Eric enemy?
0: So to me, it's not a case of I don't. Okay, let me rephrase that. I, I think Eric B enemy's history is too much. For team to overlook, so I'm just I'm like at the bottom. It, it, it's like I don't hate Eric Bana. like I, I got listen. I got my face Photoshop onto a KKK outfit last off season over Eric Bana. Yeah, yeah, well, like- and like and like that's that's silly because all I said all I did was bring up something that's literally in his Wikipedia page. You can literally find that he put his hands around a woman, like on his Wikipedia page. Like I don't I don't I don't that that doesn't sit well with me. And I'll as see. an offensive as an offensive guy, I mean you look at his his stops and he's not been successful anywhere. Like outside of the Chiefs, where we kind of all know it's Andy Reid and Mike Kafka. I mean, like his most successful one was like what he was Adrian Peterson's running backs coach. Like, does Adrian Peterson really need a running backs coach? <laughs> <laughs> like but like seriously, so like that combined with like the mystery of why he never gets hired which I think we all know is because of the legal history. It's not that I don't think Eric enemy could be a good motivator, but it's just the fact that like, what are we? There's just too many unknowns with that all. And like the legal stuff. I don't, I would, I don't touch players with that. I that's a personal thing for me. I'm like, as a general manager, if you have that in your track record, I would never draft you. That's a personal stigma of mine. I know it's wholly unpopular. I've been told to not have a moral compass because the NFL doesn't and I don't care because I do. And that's something I'm not comfortable with.
1: That's fair. Uh, mine. So that was, so the enemy is your 10 and Gana was my 10. Gana was your nine, right? My nine is Gerard Mayo. Uh, and, and again, I'm at a point already with this list where I want to say that I was going back and forth on these guys all day today, as I was trying to work on this. Uh, The big things with Mayo that I don't like is he has the shortest resume of any of the Broncos candidates comes from a coaching tree infamous for their failures as a head coach. There is not an assistant coach that learned under Belichick who is currently a head coach in the NFL right now. Uh, Mike Vrabel was not an assistant coach under Bill Belichick. So like, if you want to make an exception for him, you can, I don't, uh, just because Vrabel came up a different way. Uh, but yeah, so that is a concern. I, I obviously look at them all as their own person. So, but the thing is like the way you're, the way people are selling Gerard Mayo is he's one of the quote unquote best leaders I've ever known. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But I'm not able to evaluate that without being able to evaluate that. All I can go on is what I can tell. He's been an inside linebackers coach for three years under the same team he was playing for. So for me, it's it's a risky, risky hire, and I don't think you're going to be able to sell it to the Broncos fan base because of Josh McDaniels. And again, fair or not, I just think that that's how that's going to fall.
0: Yeah, yeah. To me, I like Gerard Mayo. Like I I like uh, I like him from what I've seen and when I've spoken to people around the Patriots. Um, and people who are fans of the Patriots. And then even when I watch the Patriots, like you can tell those linebackers of his are really good. They are. He's developed he's developed them really well. And everybody just raves about all the off-the-field stuff. But we like the fans don't necessarily know that. And and, and I think I think you're right. That's a fair point on Josh McDaniels of like trying to sell another former Patriots assistant when the last one did not go well. And, I
1: mean, and to be fair, Josh McDaniels had a pretty proven record by the time he was hired too. Whereas, yeah. and again, I agree with you. Like this isn't personal yeah. Mayo. I yeah. think Mayo could end up going on to be a very good head coach. Yeah. I just give it a I couple just, of years. I just don't think that yeah. Denver is the right fit for him.
0: And, and, and the fact, and I, and I know that this is a, this is a stigma and it does not matter for a lot of, but going from a linebackers coach to a head coach, in a, that, that, that's a little worrisome because yeah. instead you go from a positional unit to having to handle an entire team that like I, he's young and he can grow into that, but that I would like a little more seasoning on that before I dive. In. I feel you. Where do you,
1: who's your number eight?
0: Uh, My number eight was actually going to be Kevin O'Connell.
1: Interesting. Okay, that's not yeah. actually
0: that's not true. It was Brian Callahan. I okay. flipped him at okay, the okay. last second. I flipped so, it. So Brian Callahan was my. Age.
1: So tell me, tell me what's what's up with Brian Callahan? It's
0: not. Let me let me go back to my notes. So Brian Callahan, to me, is almost like a younger version of Nathaniel Hackett, which is great. That's where I was in at the sense him. that, in the sense that, like. what we've known about him has been, and every report has just been kind of glowing. The problem is, is that he's never called plays. Mm -hmm. He's not once called plays. And so that to me kind of goes, Uh, I don't know how to kind of guess anything about him. And now like, but like when you look at his coaching tree, guys he's working, obviously he worked under Kubiak. So that, and he worked with Pate Manning, but like he's, he went from what I think he was with like Jim Bob Cooter in Detroit. He worked with Daryl Bevel. I want to say, yeah, Daryl, and then John Gruden
1: Uh
0: and with the Raiders. And now he's with Zach Taylor. So it's like, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a, a couple of different things he could pull from, but like we've never seen him call plays. Like we've not seen him actually assume that role of leading a part of an offense. Yep. And so like he he, he looks to me like he's a pretty damn good co- quarterback's coach. Yeah, like that that because I mean we saw what he worked he worked with Peyton Manning. Obviously Peyton Manning did not need one. But we saw Matthew Stafford had a couple of really good years under him. Joe Burrow has been freaking phenomenal. But again, we know not like Zach Taylor calls a place all Brian Callahan does is kind of like
1: implements game the game plan. plan. Yep. And
0: yeah. it's scout essentially it's self scout.
1: And, and um, I agree, I agree with kind of like everything you just said, I want to add two parts to that. And I actually have, I have Callahan a decent bit higher, but, but my, I go back and forth on Callahan for a lot of these same reasons. And the other part of this is he puts in the game plans. He's a big part of the game planning. The first half of the year, like the Bengals were running way too much for how bad, like in, in the Bengals have a bad offensive line. That's like their biggest weakness in the playoffs. It's, it's going to probably be what kills them in the playoffs. Knowing that they, they were way too reliant on it. And they were putting Joe burrow in situations where he had to be a hero for the first half of the year. And then they kind of wised up to, Oh yeah. Our offense is as good as Joe burrow is. And then they kind of moved away from it. And that's a concern for me. And again, Without being in the room, I don't have an answer to that question, but that's and, and it is a question. To be honest,
0: to be honest with you, I don't think the. the I'm, I'm just going to be completely frank. Off of what I've studied from that offense, I don't think it's schematically like well designed enough to be, because like most of it, it's like oh, it's it's starting seven, but ISO, Jamar Chase, chuck it up to him, right? Like, and that works. That's great because Jamar Chase is a superhero and and Joe Burrow is awesome.
1: They have Jimmy's like, and Joe's in their in their receiving core. Yeah, they, they but it's personally.
0: just kind. Of, it's kind of like okay. Well, what if you don't have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase? Yep. Because the offense did not look good the last couple of years before that. Yep. So so it's kind of like okay, what more can you give me? And so I I actually have him below Mayo and uh, Kevin O'Connell. They they those two are my six and seven. I had Mayo at
1: seven to kill and Kevin Call at six. My this is going to sound crazy because, well, it might, it might, or it might not. Um, I have Luke Getzi at eight, uh, and I, I was kicking Uh-oh. myself. Yeah, I was kicking myself a little bit with this because I actually like Luke Getzi a lot. I don't feel like I know enough about him, in part because he's a strong candidate. He has received praise from Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. He's worked with both. Uh, he's been a receiver coach. He's been a quarterback coach. He has worked under a lot of talented coaches. You actually told me that, and I went and looked it up. I agree. And he has a lot of hand. Like he has a lot of sway in what the Packers do on third downs. But he has no NFL play calling experience beyond, you know, his influence on third downs. He has only ever called plays on one. Uh, once at any level, uh, he was a Mississippi State offensive coordinator slash. Receiver. He didn't call plays. Oh, he didn't call plays. So yeah, then not at he, all. Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead called plays. Joe Moorhead.
0: So yeah, he but he did he did call plays in college though, but he okay. was at like IUPUI, I think. Okay. Um, so... or whatever, whatever the Indiana University, like Indiana Pennsylvania. Gotcha. Um, but and they then they were freaking phenomenal. Their offenses were just
1: killer. And I, I go into that when we talk about gets Okay. Um, and again, but like, I, I'm not, I, I, yeah, it, it's a
0: pretty big question.
1: Yeah. It's a big question mark for me. And so, and then the other part of it is we have enough reports at this point that suggests that he is only really being considered as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. And, and the fact that if, if that is how the reports are coming out about it and the Broncos aren't even actually considering him that you kind of wonder, if he if he was a serious candidate for head coach, they should. Yeah. But I, I I do wonder about that. So I get the vibe that it's probably too, too early.
0: Yeah. No, I, I definitely I get that from that perspective. But I I have getsy getsy quite a bit higher.
1: Okay. So. No, and, and again yeah. I, I, like I said, I have been moving up and down with a lot of these guys. Uh, I'm working with the information I have, so like, I'm not ruling out just about anybody but Jonathan Gannon. Uh, Jonathan Gannon is the one guy if they hire him, I am going to probably feel really sick just based on like what I I've watched a good bit of the Eagles defense this year because my brother's an Eagles fan. I am not a fan of Jonathan Gannon. Uh, If he's the hire, I'm going to hope for the best. But but that's where I'm at with it. But so who's your seven then?
0: It was uh, Mayo.
1: Okay, that's fair. Mayo. And then O'Connell was my six. Tell me about O'Connell because you and I have not talked about O'Connell much.
0: Yeah. So O'Connell is, there's a lot in his history that kind of, really, when you look at what he did with Washington and, and with the Rams, this is kind of all that I can really gauge is with Washington and with the Rams, because he kind of bounced around everywhere outside of that. like he was i think he's like the quarterbacks coach for cleveland in 2015 and then was like like a special projects coach for the 49ers i think in 2016 so you're like i don't i have no idea how to properly evaluate what a special projects coach <laughs> does for that but like there's a lot of reports that when the washington offense um in 2017 Let's say 2017, 2018 was like actually homing. It was Kevin O'Connell's work. It was because of him. And it wasn't, was it Jay Gruden at the time? Yeah. Yep. That was calling plays. It wasn't Jay, it was Kevin O'Connell. And like, that's not been like a confirmed or like a sort, but it's, that's kind of the underlying feeling of it's not really him, it's this other guy. Kind of like how with the 2018 Browns, it came out that it was more of than Freddie kitchens yep uh and everybody was just kind of like yeah are you sure about that and then sure enough it was <laughs> right um I, I don't mean to harp on you Joe. show i just, I'm oh. just saying, that's like that's that's the closest example i think
1: i have no problem being wrong uh that that is yeah. one of those things that i think is a big misconception I was wrong on Freddie Kitchens, but I also had no idea that that play. Co- like, I didn't know that until I knew it, you know, and by the time yeah. I knew it, I was like, oh, shit.
0: Yeah, and Freddie Kitchens was just like, I don't know how to game plan. Um,
1: <laughs> oh, that's a problem. If <laughs> you should be a head coach, if but, you don't know how to game plan. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But like, so Kevin O'Connell with the Rams. Yeah. And if for the listeners that don't know, I am a Rams fan and I, I like to say I'm pretty well connected um with with the rams and with what they kind of coach a lot of the behind the scenes stuff i am still surprised by their draft tendencies because they can never figure it out but with kevin in the case of kevin o'connell he is very 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 detailed like the way that he handles practice and the quarterback development is very much hands-on meticulous Detail. It's almost Belichickian in the way that it's like everything gets down to be perfect. He's a, he's a little bit of a perfectionist, and that's the way he runs the, the offense. And I mean, it's tough to really say, like, with in the case of like golf, right? Because golf had all of his bad habits in college and they never went away. So, like, I don't know if you can really hold that against Kevin O'Connell. And with Matt Stafford, you can't really go, you, I mean, you can't really say one way or the other, because Matthew Stafford has been playing in the NFL since 2009. I think Kevin O'Connell was drafted in 2008. Yeah. Right. So like, we can't, there's not enough track record there to say, oh yeah, he's he's the reason why Matthew Stafford is playing so well. And we all know it's good to cut. But, but but what is notable is his development of the backup quarterbacks. Right. When I, I spoke to Jordan rodriguez of The Athletic and she told me that his work with Bryce Perkins has been stellar. Like that has everybody, like there's a reason Bryce Perkins sticks around as a Q and it's because Kevin O'Connell has developed him pretty well from an undrafted free agent. And, and, and he's kind of like their secret Tyler Huntley
1: mm-hmm. from the
0: way that I've kind of heard it whispered around. Like, Everybody kind of goes, oh, John Walford will play. And I'm kind of going, I don't know. I, I think if push comes to shove, they put in Bryce Perkins. Um, but, like, that, that's where he's been cited the most um, Has has been the development of the backups, essentially. And, like, keeping the game plan afloat. What's interesting to me is that when he showed up, the Rams' offense has shifted multiple times. So this year it has shifted into a heavier personnel,
1: mm-hmm. like,
0: and that to me is that's yeah that's important because he troubleshoots the offense. That's mm-hmm. that's the other thing. It's he's he's that guy that comes in and he pokes everything and he kind of jabs it and goes, okay, this is the problem. This is how we fix it, and that's it. And that is super valuable for a guy like Sean McVay because Sean McVay is super high energy. It's just like, okay, we're gonna go, and he's like, yeah. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Kevin O'Connell is kind of the guy coming behind. Like, yeah, okay, you know, you drop this, you, know, you drop this too. You, come on, like that's his role. That's what he does. He's like he's like his caretaker almost with Sean McVay. because Sean McVeigh is like a little kid sometimes. Um, but that, so Kevin O'Connell from that aspect, but it's, it's fun. I, I like I like the resume. I think he's an up and comer, which is why I'm a little higher on him, even though he's totally unproven but it's it's still a a concern which is why he's six for me
1: i have him at six as well uh for basically i did not know all of that uh but again i think what he has done based on what i know of from washington and then the work he i knew about with the rams like what i knew about i thought he makes sense as a candidate Uh, you've seen the track record with other McVeigh assistants, which isn't to say, again, like that's not predictive, but that does signify that McVeigh does try and help his assistants be able to go on to be successful elsewhere. He coaches his coaches. Like that's, that's what we're learning. Like there's an actual process at play there. And that's important. And I think that that does give you some hope that this guy could figure it out and he's played. I like that. I think the fact that he... Has that relatable experience he's been a journeyman a bunch of places so he he would be able to add that kind of relatability to the room
0: and and notably if they need a young quarterback you've got a guy with a record of development yep. of undrafted guys right i mean like I, I, I don't think people kind of understand how difficult it is to make guys who go undrafted into viable backup quarterbacks because it's not like madden where it's like, oh, this guy's a 61 overall, but I don't care. Like, No, these guys are like actual backups. Like, they, There's developing guys into even that, just to making it into the league is a credit in and of itself. Um, if, if, and if a so, guy has
1: 90 arm strength, I can make him into a superstar. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, shit, Joe, they should hire you. Uh, but, but no, but like that to me is important because if they do have to... On board a rookie quarterback whether it's this year or next year um it, that, that could be something and so that to me says a lot about Kevin O'Connell's chances and what he would bring to the table with Denver but there's enough of like the okay but what else does he have yeah that kind of bothers me
1: no same and that's and that's why I have him at six and um I would I, w- well,
0: I would like to interject yeah here real quick we're again we are like live recording this almost uh they just completed their interview with jonathan gannon uh albright has said would suggest keeping an eye on this one as well as dan quinn and nathaniel hackett so we have our three finalists (laughs) of hackett dan quinn and jonathan gannon um (laughs) according to albright according to albright yeah. yeah yeah um so yeah, that, that, that just concluded as of like 20 minutes ago. For, for listeners, who might be unaware of what the jump cut is right here. Uh, Joe, after, after we just laughed, No,
1: I, after we it, kind of like shut Dan off
0: to the side.
1: I've been, like, I've been thinking about this for a minute because again, I've, I, Jonathan Gannon and Dan Quinn are the two candidates that were on Albright's original October list uh, of of the Broncos 10 candidates. Those two were the two that were on Albright's original list that was leaked in October that Albright said he got from somebody who was in the room with the conversation with Peyton. Like, that's what he says. Essentially, according to him, it came from the conversations with Peyton is what happened And to me if Jonathan Gannon and Dan Quinn are two of the three finalists, and again, I'm not saying they are, but if they are to me, it suggests that this whole process was predetermined and I don't like that. I, I just don't, it doesn't no. sit right with me. So I, I that's what really? I don't, I don't, I don't want to like get into this giant, like tinfoil hat conspiracy with it, but it just like, it's It sits weird in my gut that it's, this kind, is it's a little doing. like
0: a kangaroo. It, it played kind of
1: it, well, it's it, it plays into this whole idea that it's just who you know it doesn't really matter what you did because Jonathan Gannon's yeah. resume is garbage like he hasn't yeah, done right.
0: shit. yeah oh uh mike kliss tweeted out that the, the eagles defense improved in yards and points scored so Woo. that's something um anyway yeah they, they were just bad everywhere else but
1: <laughs> it, it so is anyway. really, no, so, and, and i get it again i get, like they're gonna they're gonna say the good things because he's a potential candidate i just Jonathan Gannon to me is the weakest candidate on this list. He has not shown anything in terms of like, as a defensive coordinator, he has not shown enough. I've talked to enough Eagles, like reporters and fans. They thought he was going to get fired for very, at various points this year. They thought he was not going to last the season. So the fact that he is a finalist or if he is a finalist for the Broncos job, it points to a very flawed process. And, And that's my concern um but i don't want to like sidetrack us too far with that that's just where i land on it i don't feel right about it uh (laughs) my 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 number five my number five is brian callahan for all the same reasons that you mentioned and i went back and forth on him quite a bit for all the reasons we've already discussed so i don't really want to bog us down with it but i like him he kind of seems like a younger nathaniel hackett in terms of the appeal um Because for me, Nathaniel Hackett, what's appealing about Nathaniel Hackett isn't necessarily the Aaron Rodgers connection. We'll get to that. It's everything else. Uh, And Brian Callahan kind of has a lot of, like, you see the hints of that on his resume. But he's way more unproven. And the Cincinnati offense is as much Joe Burrow as it is anything the coaches are doing. So you kind of have concerns about that. Um, Who is your number five? Amquit. Dan Quinn. Okay.
0: Yeah, the low, the lowest I could possibly continue to cite and uh, it. And then, and then, I personally don't like the idea of retreads. I know everybody's like, oh my god, but look at Andy Reid, Bill Belichick. Yeah, okay, just just find me Andy Reid or Bill Belichick. Just go do that for me. Um, like when you hire a guy that has already flunked as a head coach, because that's what he is. It's he flunked. I don't. I don't like the second chance route after just a single year in a team that was totally undisciplined and completely collapsed. Like, yeah, the defense was great, but they were the third worst against motion this year. Do you really want to put that in the same division with Patrick Mahomes? No, like that to me would be a huge, a huge red flag. And then like, I'm, I'm just of the opinion that I don't, I don't like giving a retread that quickly and I don't like the idea of giving a guy who didn't succeed because, like, at least Andy Reid and, like, Tom Coughlin succeeded previously. Dan Quinn kind of didn't. Dan Quinn got with Shanahan and then didn't do anything else after that. Um, and got memed, memed to death because he blew 14 leads. Um, and So, I'm like, if your head coach is a, is a meme, I, for a bad reason, he's a meme, I don't. I, that just doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't sit well. I don't think I wouldn't like
1: it. I didn't say this earlier, but I actually have Dan Quinn at seven for the same reasons. So. Oh, wow. You
0: had it even lower than I did. Okay.
1: (laughs) I just, to me again, like everything you mentioned on top of my concerns about the process, I don't feel, I don't feel like if he gets hired and again, I might be wrong again. It doesn't look like if he gets hired, it's based completely on merit. It looks like he's getting hired in part because George Payne already knew him. And I, I think that's what, I think that, that, honestly, in, in the hardest part about this, uh, as it pertains to Quinn and, uh, Gannon up until this point, whether I agree or disagree with things Peyton's done. And again, I've tried to be very objective. I have been cautiously optimistic that all the reports about when he was hired are true because everybody spoke very, very glowingly when he was hired. So I've wanted to believe that he is this like a plus GM. If he's just hiring a buddy, uh, I don't know. I don't know about yeah. that.
0: Yeah, and and I'm to be How much of what the Minnesota Vikings have done recently do you want to recreate?
1: That's a whole other like, discussion. Like
0: because they already because they already brought in Pat Shermer, who yeah. was the architect behind the offense that had the uh, Minneapolis Miracle, right? And they already tried that, and that didn't work out. So, like, why would you? Why would you try and replicate something that just got everybody fired? I, I mean, like, I get, I get, he's your buddy, but like that, there's, there's really big, like, you know how when people get back together with an ex, they're like, oh, I can, I can fix him, I can fix him, I, you know, what? I, yeah, those flaws, yeah, I'll just ignore those. The rose-colored glasses look great, you know.
1: It's funny how, when you, uh, yeah. when you wear rose colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Flags. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's pretty much what it is. Right. With, with hiring a buddy. And, and like, again, we're not privy to the meetings, but it kind of seems like, Oh, we have two guys who were named on a list before Fangio was even fired. And they're now two of the three names we're told to keep an eye on and
1: and and to be fair and i want to be fair with this that is according to one report as far as gannon yeah uh and and again take it for what it's worth because the other part is gannon on on paper gannon is by far the weakest candidate so having him as a finalist also does prop up the other two like that that does net like dan quinn looks a lot better if you're comparing him to jonathan gannon i'm i'm just gonna be honest
0: it looks a lot better. Like that whole list was like Dan Quinn and Jonathan Gannett and then like Daryl Bevel, yeah. Jason Garrett, like two guys that were obviously not going to pass the sniff test. No. Oh. Right. That, oh. that, like there's, I just, I just question. And, and again, this goes back to the blind faith kind of thing that we talked about earlier. Of Can you really, it just doesn't sit well. It doesn't.
1: I am not somebody who gives anybody blind trust. That's not how I operate. I know that that's yeah. not popular, according to fans, because a lot of fans just want to believe. If you want to believe, you want to believe. I'm just saying like, I, I am skeptical by nature is, it's just how I am. Um, so I do, I, I look at this and I kind of am concerned about where the Broncos are heading. I can't do anything about it. So let, let's kind of, the next guy on my list is Eric B enemy. Uh, all the things you mentioned, I, I feel really queasy about it. I'm not. I think if you were to interview him, and this is why I think he is the last interview, if they have already decided on what they're doing, I think Eric Bieniemy is essentially a meeting to try and find out what's going on with the Chiefs. Um, officially, uh, I tweeted this out earlier today on Wednesday. Officially, Eric Bieniemy is only meeting with the Broncos. Uh, after I tweeted that out, I have spoken with a friend who is with the Chiefs or who is who knows the Chiefs backwards. Uh, unofficially. Eric Bieniemy is actually meeting with a, a couple other teams. Uh, he is scheduled to meet with the Vikings, Giants, and Jaguars before this is all done. But the belief is uh, him and GM candidate Ryan Poles are actually like a package deal, um, which means that the Broncos aren't really going to get him anyway. Uh, That's but that, a surprise. Yeah, but, but but wait, is he meeting with the Giants? Did you say a, the Giants? Like, like below, below the surface, like essentially. That's apparently, uh, apparently the Jaguars have already actually met with him. They met with him reported like according according to my source. Uh, they met with him in week 18 in terms of like a zoom, a zoom meeting type of thing. Uh, but yeah, they're supposed to meet with the Vikings and the Giants before everything's done because um, Poles Poles was a finalist
0: for the Giants job. Yep. Um, and but he's but. The there's a couple other team. Ava is a finalist for I think the Jags and Bears. Um,
1: um, from a broncos but I, perspective yeah. if they were going to hire eric b enemy the only way i would feel good about it at all is obviously you would have to vet all that stuff uh and i don't i don't have the resources i am not a billionaire uh unfortunately uh
0: no
1: <laughs> yeah but but so like you know they're gonna be able to vet that a lot better than anything i can do uh but it's out there and it's very public and it's very close to home in colorado so I, I don't necessarily think he is a serious candidate, but I do think in terms of like, if you just focus on, he comes from Andy Reed. I like Ray, Andy Reed's track record of kind of like helping coaches figure out what they're doing. I think he's been a very successful game plan, offensive coordinator with them. He hasn't called plays, but like, but also you have Mahomes, So you have to kind of figure out a way to separate all that. I can't. Um, yeah. So that's where and I have them right now. But I, I, I honestly, it's one of those things. Like I feel kind of queasy of knowing what I don't know with AirBnB. There was a
0: report a couple of years ago. I want to say it was from Michael Lombardi, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So if I have it wrong, I have it wrong and apologies to him if I misquote. But there was a report that came out that Mike Kafka handles the passing game stuff. So like all the concepts all that stuff is Mike Kafka. And then Andy Reid kind of does the play calling, all the other duties and everything like that. So I'm like, what does he do for the Chief? That, that's what we don't know. We don't know. Yep. That's outside of like a couple of general, oh, he game plans. He does whatever. Like, is is he just a glorified running back, like running run game coordinator? Like, we don't know.
1: Uh, I do and know. That, that, all of that. I do know that if Eric B. Enemy gets hired somewhere else, Mike Kafka will be the offensive coordinator to replace him. Yeah. Like I'm completely confident. That's what's that, going to happen. That, that, that feels kind of like an open secret though. Honestly. Honest no. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Honestly, I, I'm kind of surprised that people aren't considering Mike Kafka for head coach. Like if you're going to interview I, Luke Getze, Mike Kafka has every bit has the same. Yeah. just as promising.
0: Yeah. has has a, and that, that's what's kind of weird to me, but I, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I don't want to speak for this process, but just to kind of point out the elephant in the room, like Eric Bambi also kind of feels like he's their Rooney rule
1: candidate. Well, if we're, if we're doing Rooney rule, and that's honestly one of the things like the Broncos could hire a head coach tomorrow now that they've interviewed Gerard Mayo because Gerard Mayo was their second candidate of color and Glenn. Yep. The, the Broncos, the Broncos have three diversity candidates like that would qualify as Rooney rule candidates. Uh, Eric Bienemy, Aaron Glenn, and Gerard Mayo. So I think you need. I think you need to have two. I think you two, yeah, and two they've interviewed. Now. And they've yeah. interviewed Glenn interviewed and Mayo. Three. Yep, and they'll have three by two. Friday. Yeah. Uh, um, who's your fourth? So to me, I guess. So my fourth, my fourth was Kellen Moore. Okay. Um,
0: my fourth, yeah, yeah. This is going to sound a little weird considering that we talked about Getty earlier and like gets he has no proof and like that but Kellen Moore 2019 to 2020 did great his first couple of years were phenomenal especially when you have the fact that he didn't have Dak Prescott in 2020 and he had Andy Dalton who we all know is bad uh and, and Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert and still had the offense like afloat with a really terrible defense and put them in awful spots the last couple of years and then this year, there wasn't enough adjustment to what they were running. And that doomed them in the in the playoffs, ultimately, is what is what killed them more than me And then we have that random quarterback draw with 14 seconds at zero time. So I'm like, oh, well, is that Mike McCarthy? Was that Kellen Moore? Some people, some people blame it on Mike McCarthy, but if Kellen Moore calls the plays, then who's at fault, right? And so, like, we just... To me, I need to see an adjustment from Kellen Moore, right? Because it felt like they they were too static, and they were reliant on Dak Prescott just going up there. They getting
1: them out
0: of it. Yeah, getting them every, yeah. And then once the run game declined, they still kept trying to make it work, and it didn't. Because Zeke played with a partially torn PCL, I believe. The offensive line wasn't. It kind of fell apart a little bit at the end of the season there. Dak got hurt after, the, I think it was a calf injury. Um, so, like, like, little things like that that give me enough pause. Because, like, the offense, like, if, if they had hired Kellen Moore in, like, October, which would never happen, obviously. But, like, if they had hired him then, I'd been, like, full sail. Because we have two and a half years of, you know, okay, this is pretty good, what we're seeing. But then it really fell apart at the end, and it's just enough for me to kind of go. "Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but there's something about Kellen Moore. I think he'll be really good. I think he'll be an excellent coach further down the line. For
1: me, he's a little
0: he's a little young.
1: For me, I have Kellen Moore as my number three. I actually moved him down a spot uh, because of that playoff game. Uh, just because yeah. the playoff game and then PFF, Seth Galina, a friend of the pod, Seth Galina, uh, has, yeah, that's, broke, broke, great. yeah, he is. Uh, but Seth Galina broke down what went wrong in that playoff game. And I just, I, like you said, I think there's too many foundational cracks in what we saw this year. I believe in Kellen Moore down the road. I think Kellen Moore is going to probably be a pretty good head coach. And if you're trying to find like, quote unquote, like the next McVay, I don't think anybody's going to stand out more than Kellen Moore is. Kellen Moore has basically been a meteoric rise to where he is at. And he led like the Cowboys did lead the league in points per game. Uh, and that does speak to like, there is something going on. Granted, they do have a lot of talent, but I think if from the Broncos perspective, if you're heading into this offseason, there's a possibility you're going with like Kirk, Kirk cousins sorry, I had to swallow, swallow that down. If, if, if you're going with a Kirk cousins and then like drafting a guy, you're going to want a quarterback's coach who can actually like try and get that going the right way. And the idea is like, you're going to probably take some lumps if you're developing a guy behind him. Kellen Moore is young enough that I do believe that in time he will get that on the right track and he'll still be around. And the thing is, you're not going to be able to hire an offensive coordinator version of like a Kellen Moore and not lose him in a year. So, yeah. like, if you're going to try and get an offense that's, like, quote-unquote, like, cutting edge yeah. like that, you're going to need to get that guy as a head coach.
0: Like, the hint-hint-wink-wink wink kind of thing of the only reason why Kellen Moore is not a head coach elsewhere is because Jerry Jones has said, hey, you'll be the head coach in a couple of years for the Dallas Cowboys. Like, that that's, like, an, another open secret. I mean, yep. it, it's not a coincidence that Kellen Moore's extension goes a year beyond Mike McCarthy's yep. contract. Like it's not a coincidence.
1: It's the Wade Phillips, Jason Garrett thing all over again. That,
0: that's essentially, yeah. It's kind of just like a nudge, nudge kind of. uh, oh, you stay here, you know. Like they've made him, they've increased his pay consistently because Jerry Jones can afford to pay whatever he wants for coaches. Um, and so like, that's the only reason why he's not been a head coach. So it, it's not like. He's getting into these interview processes and teams aren't impressed because his resume speaks for itself. It's the fact that okay, well, he has a he has a promised job with the Cowboys with the roster he's familiar with and the quarterback he's familiar with for the next, you know, probably half decade at the least. I don't I don't know many coordinators who wouldn't, especially if you're young. Like he I mean, he's still in his thirties. He's you, young in his thirties.
1: Do you think do you think the Broncos situation is better than the Cowboys? That's, close. that's that's but that's ultimately the question here. Uh yeah. and and if that and if that and as you said I have heard that as well. If that is what is kind of going on with Kellamore, he's not really available. Yeah. So who's your number th- that- Who's your number 3? Getsy. Getsy. Okay. Tell yeah. me tell me why I'm is, wrong about Getsy.
0: This is a gut feeling. Okay. Straight up gut feeling. And listen, I'm a fat guy. I, my gut is never wrong. Okay, listen, <laughs> listen, listen, and, and Quinn Miners' nickname—the gut—we'll go with it, right? When when you look at Gettys' profile, everything about what he has done screams to me, Sean McVay. Like I, 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 truth be told, I think in three years, three years, he's a head coach, and they're, they make the playoffs pretty quickly. Like, like, I, I think Luke gets is that kind of dude. I, I agree with you. I think he's an offensive coordinator first, Yeah. but when you look at his track record of resume, you have proven development, you have successful offenses, you do, you have a great coaching tree. You do. And, and like, he checks off every box and to me. Like it just, yeah, I'd like to see him call plays. We've seen his offenses be successful previously, but not at the NFL. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I, I there's no reason in his resume for me to think that he wouldn't be successful calling plays. The problem is, is if you run into a scenario where he's the offense coordinator for like, I think he would be like two years max because he would be a head coach by the end of that. Unless you unless you do a hint hint wink wink nudge nudge kind of thing with him, like the Dallas Cowboys are doing with Kellen Moore, there's no there's no shot he sticks around. So but like when you look at everything he's done from developing Corey Davis right at, at Western Michigan to developing Devontae Adams to working with the Packers on their third down calls to um Working with, I mean, if like you look at the resume, he's worked with too, and the coaches he's worked with. The fact that every year, when he was at IUP, their offense was stellar, and it proved. And like, he's not. He is willing to change his offensive philosophies, because he has described his offense as what he wants to do is up pace. We want to spread the ball, and we're going to throw the ball a lot. And then lo and behold, he gets to IUP and calls plays like early on, early, early in his career. Like he he was an offensive coordinator two years after GA. Like that's how well thought of he was. Early on, they rushed for like three thousand yards both years. Mm -hmm. Like that that's that's it's stellar. And that to me kind of says okay, there's something. And then he goes on to develop Corey Davis with PJ Fleck. And then from there he goes on to work with the Packers. And he worked with the Packers, Devonte Adams credits him with a fair amount of his development. And Devonte Adams is freaking stellar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and then now with all of these reports, and working, working with Joe Moorhead in, in Mississippi State, and he goes back to the Packers. And there's a lot of reports that say he is really close with Aaron Rodgers. Like, there's, there's another connection. I mean, I, I, Albright has even said it, that Getzy, Getzy is the Packers coach you want. Now, granted, was that because he didn't want to hack it? I don't necessarily know. But, like, but like Getzy viral reports has just checked, checked off every box. I'm really intrigued. Like, it's a gut feeling that I've had about several coaches in the past. And, sure enough, it worked. Like I have a pretty good gut feeling, gut feeling for coaches. I think he, I think he's a future star, a superstar. I really do. And if if Denver gets out ahead of it, they'll they'll be all the better for it because this guy, I, I, truth, truth be told, I think he makes the playoffs pretty quickly. Like
1: my number two is almost like is almost in a similar vein. Uh, kind of just a gut based on everything I've heard about the guy. I, I, think, the we, I, I think we top two. Uh, I think they're the same top
0: two.
1: I think Aaron Glenn's gonna be a great head coach. Uh, I think I think
0: Eric Glenn is a superstar. They're I think awesome. I think people
1: are going to get stuck looking at the fact that the Lions were a dumpster fire last year. I think a lot of media types can't see past the fact that he made the most of their scheme. Uh, I can't. I think but they that don't know. People, yeah, they don't know. They don't know, and what they do is they look at the numbers. And again, I look at the numbers. The numbers are bad, like straight up. Like if you look at the numbers objectively. The Lions, I want to say, were 29th in DVOA. Like, they're not
0: yeah, impressive. They
1: yeah, but here's the thing. Look at their roster. Like, they have, they had practice squad corners. We talked about this last week. They had practice squad corners for most of their games. Their they're linebackers, one of them was uh, an undrafted guy. They had, they, they had talent deficiencies across the roster. And look how many games the Lions won. And I can tell you for a fact, they did not win those games because of their offense. Uh, He has, I mean, you look at, you look at what he's done in terms of like his, his resume and he's a former player. So his resume is weird like that, but he, he was a jet. He was a jets. First round pick was with them for eight years. And then he ended up getting acquired by the Houston Texans in their expansion draft. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the next five years he spent in Texas. First, he learned under Vic Fangio. He made the, he was the Texans first pro bowler under Vic Fangio. He spent three years with him and then he left. He ended up working with uh, Bill Parcells and Mike Zimmer as a cornerback on their defense. Uh, And then after he retired from playing, he actually became a general manager of the Houston stallions uh, before he ended up becoming an NFL coach. And then he spent most of his time as an NFL coach learning under Dennis Allen, Dennis Allen. Like I know Broncos fans kind of remember him scornfully because he left Denver and went to Oakland. And then, then, you know, we forget about him because he disappeared but he's actually been a really good defensive coordinator for the saints for a while. So a guy learning under him is not a bad thing by any means. Uh, but what really stands out to me about Aaron Glenn's resume is he worked in a split field defense. He has worked in a man heavy defense. He's worked at, he, he, he has the kind of ex- experience to draw from across the board. And I think you saw that with the lions uh, people I've talked yeah. to who cover the lions. He did not want to be as zone heavy as he became this year. He just knew he didn't have the personnel to do anything else. So in a way, it's like Gann, except he was actually sort of making the most of his roster instead of allowing quarterbacks to make history on his roster.
0: Yeah, and and the thing with Glenn that stands out as well with all that is the development of players. Yeah, under his scheme. Now, I do want to touch. He was a scout before he became coach. He like he was a general manager for like an arena football league for like four months. And then he went on to be a scout with the Jets, and then be, went into coaching. He has worked with a lot of really good coaches in his time too. Jeff Hafley, notably, with the, he worked with him and Bobby Babich or Babich, I think it's, Babich, uh, yeah, it's the, Babich, who's the safeties coach. Who's the safeties coach of the Bills? He worked with those two in Cleveland, and if you remember those that era in Cleveland, they had Dante Whitner, Joe Hayden. Um, Oh, there's a few other guys. I think I, I listed them in their in his profile. One second. Uh Tashawn Gibson and Jordan Poyer. Like they had a really good secondary that 2014 year. They were I think that, they were like fifth. I think they were fifth in pass in past DVOA in 2014.
1: That and Poyer was not a first round pick. Uh like some no. of these like these guys, Tashawn Gibson was not a first round pick. Like these guys developed.
0: Yeah. And then you turn around and you look at what he did with the Saints as their defensive backs coach. Yep. I mean, yeah, Marshall Lattimore was really good, but he's turned he's helped Marshall Lattimore become an All-Pro. Marcus Williams, Cha- Chauncey Gardner Johnson, or, or C.D. Deuce, you know, or whatever you want to whatever you want to call, PJ Williams, uh, like every like all their DBs that have made that offense be able or defense be as successful as it is. It's Aaron Glenn, like. He's he's stellar, and then you look at Detroit, those guys developed this year like all those young guys. Like they started two undrafted free agents at corner, and they played phenomenal. Like AJ Parker was great, and Jerry Jacobs, I thought, was like a, a gem, like a, a budding gem that was kind of like getting ready to explode before he unfortunately got hurt against the Broncos. But like that, that rookie class was part of the reason why I was like, This is. They've got something going in Detroit. And like you look at everywhere. Like that whole staff has been assembled from players, pretty much. And it's going, it's going to succeed. Dan Campbell is going to turn it around and win games with Detroit. And if you're wanting a high energy, high leadership kind of guy, give me everything about that Detroit Lions team. Like, like because I, I think any any chance he can get into that, go for it. And Aaron Glenn. Like, he just checks every box. and I think yes. he's, he's, he's young, but he's already proven as a coach. He's proven he can develop guys. He's proven he can manage guys. He's proven he can lead. What more do you want from him? Like, okay, yes, if you're going to be silly and just look at, oh, my gosh, they were, you know, total yards per game because I'm a moron and don't know how to use stats. Like, <laughs> they might not have scored great. But when you look at how they did schematically, like they adjusted several times. The thing and like the thing what to, he wants to do fits this person up
1: so well. The thing to me, when you look at coaching and you dig into the numbers is you have to look at the numbers, but then you have to look at the numbers relative to what your expectations were. And that is one of those areas where Dan Quinn falls really down in my mind because Dan Quinn had a lot of talent uh, as a head coach in Atlanta. And then obviously he's maximized the talent as a coordinator. That's the whole thing. You look at Aaron Glenn though. Aaron Glenn didn't have any talent in Detroit, and he made it work. Like, right.
0: like there's, like there's a couple of, of decent, uh, good players. Like I think Trey Flowers is a good player. I think. Yeah, we got hurt. Um, yeah, and then I think, I uh, like Tracy Walker has mm-hmm. had flashes of good safety play, but nobody recognizes the name like you know, Will Harris or uh, I
1: mean, like This isn't Micah Parsons and. In- Trayvon Diggs.
0: Yeah. It's it's Charles Harris, a former first-round bust, by the way, who had a career year. It's Derek Barnes. It's a lot of rookies. It's a lot of undrafted free agents. Alex Antoloni, right? Like a a castaway at linebacker. I think I actually had him playing Mike. Yep. Um, Like, it is a jumbled puzzle piece that has no clear picture. Like, there's nothing but just these puzzle pieces and he's actually made something up. like that to me says a lot. Like it, he maximized and developed that defense. Like sure. The numbers aren't pretty, but the numbers weren't pretty for Dan Quinn either. So like, <laughs> there's, there's no real comparison to me.
1: I, I think if George Payne is worried about selling the head coach to a new owner, it might hurt Aaron Glenn because he is coming from Detroit and he has a one-year coordinator. But I think if George Payne is trying to find the right head coach for the Broncos, Aaron Glenn should be a finalist for the job.
0: As soon as he, I, I was actually, let me tell you the part where I actually yeah. had faith in what the process was, was when they announced they were interviewing Aaron Glenn. Yeah. Because I, yep. Aaron Glenn to me, I, I said right away, he was the second best candidate they were going to interview. I, I, I tweeted that out immediately.
1: And the the one concern I, I have, about, I love it. the one concern I have about Glenn and the one reason that he is not number one on my list is I pref- me personally, I would prefer the head coach be from the offensive side of the ball, just because I do yeah. think that stability on that side of the ball is more important uh, because you need your offense. I think, and again, we, I think we've talked about this before, but I believe like people, people split up, you know, the sides of the ball, offense, defense, special teams, And it's one third, one third, one third in terms of importance. That's not true. Like in terms of the data, the data shows that the offense is by far the most important part of the ball. And then the defense and then special teams is like a fifth in terms of value, just because you're not going to win a game being good on special teams and garbage on the other two. Very, very rarely. Are you going to be able to win like that? But if you're really good on offense, you can probably win quite a bit. And it's more consistent from year to year. Numbers show that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how many times do we go? Oh my gosh, they had a really good defense this year, and it just it just falls apart. <laughs> and I and I think to your I think to that point, like we were wanting Fangio to take that next step, and it never happened. But they had a hell of a good defense. So I mean, yep, that's something he has over Dan Quinn too. But look, but like that to me with offense, especially when you look at the results in the playoffs this year, like. Offense, 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 offense across the board, right? And and if it's not an offensive head coach, they've got a coordinator coming. I think the only exception is like Vrabel and the Titans, right? Um, But And then obviously Bill Belichick. But to me, I I think we are in agreement, though. Number one,
1: Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett. Since, since he became a candidate, he has been my number one guy. Yeah. Uh, and again, we talked about this last week, so like, I don't. To rehash a little bit of it. Uh, he's 42 years old. He's been a coordinator three times. He made Blake Bortles lead a top 13 scoring offense. Uh, I think that says a lot. That offense was good enough to get to the AFC championship game. Which says a lot. I understand that like the bottom fell out. Otherwise. But it's also it was Blake fucking Bortles. Like Blake Bortles is Jacksonville's Drew Locke.
0: Oh man, that I actually feel like that's a little bit of an insult to Drew Locke, Truth be told, like, like Blake Bortles was was awful. He's the boat, and like, yeah, he really was. And even, even listen, even Sean McVay couldn't fix Blake Bortles. That's how you know something is is up, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, Aaron Rodgers like, they they brought Blake Bortles in to the Packers at one point. And I don't think it's a coincidence that a couple weeks ago, Aaron Rogers said that what Nathaniel Hackett did in 2017 was quote unquote magical.
0: Yeah, it was a miracle or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: I think I think Aaron Rogers knows what he had to work with there. And, and, and again, like looked- from, from a Broncos perspective, though, if they don't have a quarterback, they might, you might have to take a shit quarterback for a minute. Having a guy who can squeeze that much production yeah, out of a Blake that- Bortles or At least be relatively competent with like an EJ manual. Like that says a lot to me. And that speaks more to me. I understand that Aaron Rodgers may very well not end up in Denver. And I think a lot of fans are hoping that a Nathaniel Hackett hire means Aaron Rodgers is coming. I get it. I don't, I'm not counting on it. And I think it's foolish to count on that. And I think if Nathaniel Hackett is the hire, that is going to be heavily implied in the way they sell him but I also think that that is going to be a little bit of spin. Like no one really knows if Rodgers is leaving green Bay yet. Uh, but that said, Nathaniel Hackett without Aaron Rogers is a very strong candidate.
0: That's, that's what is weird to me is I don't, I don't know if I'm going to say that, but like they came up and like, Oh, it, there's question marks about his offense away from that 2017 Blake Bortles. I'm like, yeah, okay. You want to talk? Cause he set records. In college with Ryan freaking Nassib yep. at quarterback and an offense that he contrived two weeks before the season started, by the way. And then he goes on to Buffalo, where with working with a 33 year old Kyle Orton, he has them throw for over 3,000 yards in 12 games. And they're like second in rushing one year. And then you have the Blake Bortles years like in 2017, the 2018, the whole ship fell apart. Because they got banged up with injuries, and then nobody cared in Jacksonville because you had all sorts of drama and issues like that. And but like like the man has had successful offenses like virtually everywhere. Like I don't understand where this question came up from. Oh well, his offenses have been bad. Like no, just because they weren't top five. I mean, holy crap, they had EJ Manuel and Kyle freaking Orton.
1: But this is one of those things too, where the double speak starts to really. To me, I don't take a lot of those kind of reports seriously just because, you know, it's bullshit. Uh, and honestly, I think that's like the the key word of this podcast is bullshit because there is there's so yeah. much of it. But but if you're if your biggest complaint about Nathaniel Hackett is that he did not have a top five offense everywhere and then you turn around and say that Dan Quinn did fine without Kyle Shanahan, you're lying. You're just straight up. Yeah, you're 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 oh, sure you're, you're purposefully misleading people with the way you're reporting things, and, and again, like kudos to you, you—that's what you want to do. I don't take you seriously yeah. at all, and that's why because because, because like, you're just bullshitting people for your own agenda. Yeah, and
0: like Hackett overachieved with results. And like yes, Albright Albright shot it back to me that he he brought in Kyle Orton uh, in 2014, and then sure enough, had success with Kyle Orton. So that is kind of irrelevant. Um, and then, I mean, like, Kyler had almost a career year in 12 games. If he had played the full year, he probably would have had a career year in terms, of, in, in terms of statistics. And then he brought in Cody Kessler with him to Jacksonville in 2018. Yeah, his other quarterback was Blake Bortles. I don't care who he brings in as a backup when he has Blake Bortles as a starting quarterback. Like, I, I, I don't see how that's a negative. Like, so, this this, like, when you have the success he has... The willingness to adapt your offense, the willi- the high energy, everybody, everywhere has talked and raved about Hackett. From people in Green Bay to people in Buffalo to people in Jacksonville. Eric, like Hackett, Hackett was loved. I mean, Eric Wood has talked about it, the Buffalo longtime Bill Center. How he and Hackett just hit it off, you know, like two buddies, like two peas in a pot. They just raves about Hackett. And like the high energy, if you look at all the boxes that George Payton said in his press conference. It fits him. There's not a single one that doesn't fit Hackett. Yep. And, and that that to me says volumes about who he is as a coach. And it's it's a little bizarre to me that, like my only concern, I guess, is that like he's not being viewed as a finalist elsewhere. But that shouldn't, I don't know if that necessarily should stop Denver from hiring him. If if other teams are going, well, okay, it's kind of like maybe hacking in Denver, then we'll kind of back off and go elsewhere. But that and then obviously you have the ties with Aaron Rodgers again. He's in charge of their red zone offense. They were number one in the red zone last year. They're I think sixth this year mm-hmm. in terms of red zone scoring. And that could probably be directly tied to the fact of you know, just injuries. Um and like there's nothing in his resume that doesn't suggest he wouldn't be a good head coaching candidate. Like, sure. He's not, he's not proven he could lead as a head coach, but neither has any coordinator ever. So like
1: the, the reason that, that's, the reason that argument falls so flat for me is if that's the biggest argument against nine of these coaches, then why didn't you, why didn't you interview more head coaches? Yeah. Like, and, and again, I, <laughs> And again, that might not even be an argument. I just I, I, just know that that is one of those things where you start to question the process when if your number one thing was leadership, but the only way you're going to be able to prove leadership is because you were a head coach, then why aren't you talking to the other head coaches? Because there's a lot of them out yeah. there. Both the Bears and the Jaguars are interviewing as many candidates as the Broncos are, and half of their candidate list is former head coaches. I'm not necessarily saying that's better or worse, but it looks like they're looking for a for yeah. head coach.
0: So. Yeah, I, I To me, I... I like the fact that Denver went with so many young guys. I do too. But if, but if, but if the whole reason why, and again, this is like tinfoil. Yeah. Hat conspiracy. If the whole reason is so they could say, well, Dan Quinn was the most experienced. Then it doesn't matter.
1: It's irrelevant
0: that they went
1: after those guys. Yeah. Uh, so quick, because I, I know I'm keeping you. What would your ideal off season look like? And this is like, you know, broad strokes, macro look. Uh, so head coach, yeah. I think we both agree Nathaniel Hackett's the ideal head coach.
0: Yeah. Just I mean obviously the ideal head coach would be if they just traded for Sean like Sean Payton, but that's not gonna happen. So
1: <laughs> I, I mean, hey, you know, half of the early half of this year, people in San Francisco wanted Kyle Shanahan fired. I would yeah, I would take Kyle Shanahan over any of the ten candidates I, Denver has.
0: Yeah. I I'd cut off my pinky to cover Kyle Shanahan. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But like <laughs> <laughs> but but like seriously, I would love Kyle Shanahan. Uh, in Denver, I think he would just kill it in Denver, yeah. like, he, like he is in San Fran. Um, but but like ideally, without naming names, because obviously, like one is you get Rogers. Yes, I don't think that's happening. Like that's just a gut feeling. I've never really thought that Rodgers was coming. I still like until I see it happen. I don't. I, I don't yeah, know I've, if I would buy it.
1: I don't believe. Like, I, I don't. Like, I don't blame you at all. And then like Russell Wilson
0: is one oh two, I don't think he's leaving Seattle.
1: My thing with Russell Wilson, and this is one of those things why I am very skeptical. All the reports are Russell Wilson is feeling out his options, but he is not demanding a trade. Here's the thing. If you're Russell Wilson, if you're not going to come out and say, trade me, they are not going to trade you.
0: Yeah. And like what failing out his options. It, what, what, are they going is this is this is what this is how they're going to end up trading for like Calvin Ridley, right? And then just <laughs> right.
1: All, like that's, all that does all you're doing when you're feeling out your options is you're putting pressure on your current team to build things around you. So you want to stay. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like that is the translation of what that means is Russell Wilson wants to make sure the Seahawks are serious about winning this year so they don't waste his career. So he's, he's trying to threaten that if things go poorly, he will leave. And everything we know about Russell Wilson is, though, he is not somebody who is going to burn bridges. That has been something out in the air since last year. If he's not going to burn bridges, he will not get traded. No, because he's the most successful. Like, he's a third round pick. Like he makes John Schneider look. Um, he makes it. They look brilliant because they have Russell Wilson. Yeah. They're not going to get and him you know, away. I don't
0: even know if you know. Like there's a lot of reports that it was Ed Dodds. That was the reason behind. So it's not even, I don't even know if it's really Schneider. Yeah. But like, I think the fact that Russell Wilson, like, there's been just nothing from it. Like, you had a late report that came out from, I think it was Jordan Schultz, who said that like Denver was on his list. But yep. like, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. um And I also, I also real quick, go wrong. I also think hiring a head coach with the express hope that he helps lure a quarterback away from another team, I think is a really stupid process by the way. yeah, I so, agree. so if that, so if that's the whole reason why Hackett and Dan Quinn are even finalists, then I think this whole process is just totally flawed from the get go. Um, because I think your head coach should be about for team, not, not just your quarterback.
1: You're hiring a head um, coach theoretically to be the head coach for the next 10 years. That's the hope. Hopefully longer, hopefully yeah. longer. That's, but that's oh, what you're ultimately the, hoping to do is you're hoping to the hire the guy thing, to win from now on.
0: The ideal thing is to have a situation where it's like Mike Tomlin or Bill Belichick, where he's there for 20 freaking years, right? Like
1: that, that's uh, the ideal goal.
0: And so you can't hire, you can't base a guy around just one player. You have to look at the whole story.
1: Is there any major free agents or trade candidates that you are kind of hoping land in Denver this year?
0: So there's a couple it's like, obviously if they're wanting to figure out the pass rush, there's a few guys. I know Denver fans are going to just claim. I've seen a lot of people clamoring for Brandon Scherf. I don't think that's going to happen.
1: That's not going to happen. It's not even, it's not uh, even a little uh, bit realistic based on what they've invested no. in the offensive line.
0: Yeah. Um. Ideally if they do get Rogers, they pull into Monte Adams too. Um, I don't think that's realistic because I don't think they're Kate Rogers, um, and and I don't see how they invest that much money into the wide receiver because they've already paid Corlin Sutton and Tim Patrick, and while they've got if, they got good discounts,
1: if they were going to sign, that, if they were going to sign a Devonta Adams, one of those two is going to get traded, and that's been one of those things that hasn't been reported. Uh, but but that's one of those things that hasn't been reported by anybody since those guys signed the contracts. Uh both of those deals are very movable via trade.
0: Um uh, there's a few tackles that stand out to me. I I know Teron Armstead is kind of there's a little concern with injuries. Yeah. I know and and the, the Saint but the same, the Saints are cap wizards, so they can make anything work. Mm-hmm. Um I know Trent I know Trent Brown, I believe, is going to be a free agent as well from the Patriots, and that there's your right tackle. Right? Trent, Trent Brown, when he's healthy, is one of the better right tackles in the NFL. Uh, and then, like, in terms of grade, I know there's a lot of murmurs about Laramie Tunsil becoming available. And if that's the case, all hands on deck, because I I think Laramie Tunsil's a stud. If, if he and Garrett Bowles are your bookends, yeah, you've solved you solve your tackle issues for
1: the next four or five years. So, um, one, one kind of like sneaky, sleepy guy to kind of keep an eye on, I think is, uh, Daniel Hunter, uh, in the Vikings connection yeah. is obviously a big thing. Uh, technically he is not a free agent right now. I know he had a down year. I want to say he only played in seven games, but here's the thing. He only played in seven games. And because of the way the Vikings renegotiated his contract, uh, he will earn 18 million on the fifth day of the 2022 league year, which means that if the Vikings do not cut him, they're on the hook for 18 million. I don't think they're going to want to pay that. They're already over the cap. That is the quickest way to get under the cap for them. Uh, And if he becomes a free agent, if Denver has Dan Quinn, they look like an ideal fit for him. Uh, If they don't have Dan Quinn, you know, obviously it's a huge question, but if they have Dan Quinn, Danielle Hunter is one of those guys that Peyton knows it very well. Uh, Two years ago, he had 72 pressures. Uh, I want to say it was two years ago. I know I looked at this earlier, but he is insanely good. Oh, it's three years ago. So it's a while ago, which means that also like the the cap number is probably going to be pretty manageable, Um, but he's still young enough to give you hope. There is some injury concern, but when you're looking at a premier edge rusher in free agency, you're either paying buco bucks or you're grabbing a guy on upside. Daniel Hunter to me is one of the best upside guys. That's probably going to be available.
0: Yeah, Um, there is another George Payton collection connection that I think I'm pretty positive is coming available in free agency. Anthony Barr. Yeah. Uh, If if he's a free agent and he's with Dan Quinn, I I think that's they would add him. Um. I know there's guys I know Vaughn Miller. I know everybody's like, oh Vaughn come back to Denver. I don't think
1: he It won't happen. The I don't think, he got I, shot, think I don't, he don't he got think he got the
0: ready. Rams Yeah, the Rams aren't letting him leave.
1: No. And the reason the Broncos traded him is because they know they weren't gonna be able to re sign him. Yeah.
0: And then obviously uh Chandler Jones is going to may become available. Uh we'll kind of see with what happens with them defensively, because I know Chandler Jones was upset early on. Um, yeah, but kind of as the season has gone, that's kind of gone to the wayside. There's a few like upside names that I wouldn't mind them adding. I think Dennis Gardick from Arizona is pretty underrated. Uh, Jadavian Clowney and Emmanuel Agba have been great this year. Uh, I'm trying to think of a few others, All right? If they want to take a shot on like Komoko Tourette from Indianapolis, um, uh, Arden Key played really good for San Fran. Randy Gregory, if they do hire Dan Quinn, is a free agent, so that could be in play. Um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense right there, bringing in Randy Gregory. Uh, but by and large, like free agency, it's tough because you don't know how big a spender they're going to be because if they're going, oh, well... We're kind of hoping we get a quarterback, and we're yeah. gonna have to pay him, so we can't allocate a ton of money. So, like, they need to figure that out before free agency starts. Whether it, whether it's similar to what like happened with the Rams, where like they trade the Stafford trade was done in like, July. I'm pretty sure it was done Senior Bowl week, um, or not July. Excuse me, January. January.
1: Yep, uh, I know you. Meant.
0: Um, and like it was done early on, so like they knew in the off season what they didn't was. stop them from. Yeah, it didn't stop them from spending fifty million dollars on Leonard Floyd, but 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 like they they knew that ahead of time. So like they need to figure out what they're doing at yeah. quarterback because if you do go for a rookie, obviously that opens up a lot in terms of your cap space, mm-hmm. and you can get more creative and flexible with it. But since we don't know, like how big a play can it really be for yeah. Chandler Jones, who's going to make big money? And he's how how bet. big yeah like how how much money can they really expect to be throwing around for a lot of these premium players
1: we don't know yeah so last thing i guess uh worst case scenario for denver really quick head coach quarterback 2022 oh god of, of the 10 um, we, of the 10 we have i'm assuming it was your 10th guy but who who is your worst case scenario quarterback and who is your worst-case scenario head coach for 2022?
0: You know... Realistic. There's a lot worst, of names. Worst realistic
1: candidate on the list. Guys, we know... Worst, worst. worst realistic
0: quarterback, I can go ahead and kind of say it's if they end up with, like, Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. Wor- I mean, obviously, that that's actually not true worst case because worst case is they just throw Locke back out there. um, Just kind of go, oh, we're going to tank this year. Um, that's true. Worst case. But in terms of like making move, if they pull off a trade for Kirk cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo, a, they're going to end up with egg on their face big time. Um, and B that's a lot of, that's a crap ton of cap money to waste on a quarterback. That's not really going to take you much, much of anywhere. Um, worst case head coach without honestly, truthfully, I think worst case head coach is probably Gannon just because like, I mean, holy crap! If he keeps some of the staff around that he knows, and the De- the Denver offense has to change or defense has to change, we have no idea what his offensive plan is like. Sure, he's an up and comer, but we don't, I don't know anything.
1: Multiple times positive about him. So I agree with you on Gannon because multiple times last year, I had different friends with the Eagles that I talked to that basically said we don't know what his system is. He doesn't. He's just yeah. trying to figure stuff out. Yeah, uh, he and, he, said, he said he doesn't
0: have a scheme. Yeah. That's,
1: then, his, that's his
0: excuse. He doesn't have a, a scheme.
1: And then in terms of worst case, from a quarterback standpoint, I, am, I lean towards what you think uh, in terms of Jimmy G and Kirk Cousins for the same reason in that I don't think either of them are anywhere near as good as their pay is going to dictate. I hate the idea of trading a day two or like multiple day two type picks to get them for a year. I think that's a waste. I think it's a scared move that a GM makes if he thinks he's going to get fired. Uh, Honestly, best case scenario. If you can't get Rogers or Wilson to me is, and again, this will not happen. I would be shocked. Uh, But best case scenario for me is gain the draft trade down, pick up a 2023 first. If you can do what you can to suck through the year. I mean, if that means Jimmy G Kirk cousins, but you trade it down to do it, I can get on board with that because like you have a plan beyond them. uh, But I think if they're, if they're going to miss on the two big guys, you need to figure out what you can do to get into the quarterback derby in 2023. If you don't do that, you're going to stay on the quarterback carousel. And we have yeah. seen what that's done uh, for six years now. I wouldn't mind. So like if,
0: if we're talking like a mid scenario, right. Like this is a middle ground where, it's not the worst case scenario, but it's not ideal. I wouldn't mind if they like franchise tag Teddy Bridgewater, or sign him to, like a one year deal, whatever, with like a lot of guaranteed money to keep him. And then like day two of the draft, they they bring in like a, a Caleb Ellaby or a Bailey Zappi or like some of these younger guys that you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, you know what? They're fun. They could be something.
1: I have a, I have a coach buddy. I have a coach buddy who said, knowing what this quarterback class looks like, why wouldn't it make sense to just take three mobile guys later in the draft, throw them all out there and just try it for a year because you know, you're probably not keeping any of them anyway. I know no one will do that. GMs will not do that because the NFL is about keeping your job. And if you're going to veer that hard left, you're probably going to get fired at the end of the year because people will revolt. Uh, But, but I do think like in, in a, like in a think tank type of way, It makes sense with where the Broncos are at right now, because the one thing about this quarterback class, and I think this is a good place to end the one place with this quarterback class we're getting to is all the first round guys are realistically second round guys, but they're getting pushed up. But in terms of like the actual overall number of quarterback prospects in this draft, there's a lot. So it doesn't hurt to take a swing on a later guy that you think might have a chance because he might have a chance. Um, The problem is don't overinvest in that guy. Yeah, but to
0: me, I, ideally, the two sleeper and they're not even really sleepers. They're just they're just not the big name guys of LB and Zappy. I just think, why not? Like, you know what? These kids are talented. Let them go. Just see what soon they do. Because like at some point, if what you're doing with Teddy Bridgewater is working, you you need a bridge to the next year. And if it, if this young guy works, he works, and you've hit on a third round pick, and you look. So smart. If you land if you land a quarterback outside of round one, you look like a dadgum genius, right? It does it does not matter if you miss every other pick, <laughs> as long as you find as long as you hit on that quarterback, it it never matters to the public, right? And, and if it doesn't work, guess what? You spend a third round pick on a quarterback. You can be you could be praised for going, yeah, you know what? I, he at least had the foresight to, to try and swing because I'm I'm of the opinion that you swing often for quarterbacks until you have.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Bub. So yeah. So here oh, okay. is hoping that here
1: the, here's hoping that the next time we chat uh, Nathaniel Hackett is the as uh, the Broncos head coach. He left the Packers uh, after they got knocked out of the playoffs or or you know, the other scenario is hopefully next time we talk, the Broncos are still in the middle of a head coaching search because the Packers are still in the playoffs and we know that that's what's happening. Uh, but it was fun. Thanks for chatting with me guys again. If you do not already follow AJ on Twitter, go do it. He is at AJ draft scout, go read his stuff at mile high report. Uh, and yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Go Broncos.